So, welcome once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. Time now for our monthly review show. Uh, as ever, we don't like to review titles too early. Uh, we know that sometimes issues can pile up. Um, sometimes you don't get a chance to get to them on Tell the week about of release, <laughs> as Keith will attest to. Um, and Roddy, I think, will attest to also. Yeah, yeah, I'm in a similar situation now. Well, you say that, I mean, but I understand. I was chatting with Keith yesterday and he came in to pick up his pull list and he was like, I need my pull list. I've nothing to read. I'm all caught up. <laughs> For the second week running. No, <laughs> I, week running. Uh, I haven't been into the store in a while and I came, I came in last week and a big pile was handed. Well, maybe a relatively big pile to me was handed to me. So I'm still, still working my way through it. And the first thing you did when you got those pile of comics, you went and got drunk at a beer festival. Yeah, well... <laughs> and why not? why not and why not indeed was that ABV ABV was fantastic okay. I found it very hard to actually spend my drinks tokens because everyone was so <laughs> kind but yeah really 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 nice time the Carlisle Memorial Church lovely place to have a couple of beers drink beers with your mates so definitely recommend it it's in the fifth year now so sweet yeah really 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 good once. time and of course, you've now got to your comic since then. Yes, yeah. <laughs> tucked into a few, tucked into a few. Got some. Got. I think I got most of the important ones out of the way. So, well, but I've all. read all these ones anyway. Well, you've read all these ones except for one or two that Keith and I are very excited yeah. about. But we have come up with a plan to combat that with not uh, giving you too many spoilers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it. I mean, when it comes to the review show, we always leave it a few weeks uh, with releases, so we're not spoiling things straight away. Um, these are all titles that came out in August uh, the last of which was on the 28th of August I believe um, really big month I'm not going to lie we've got a sheet in front of us that we broke down all the best titles and I think we're looking at about 35 titles <laughs> and this was us really trimming it down <laughs> we need to figure out how to pair these down yeah. we do we do wasn't but... as bad as July because July had five weeks didn't it yeah that was I think one. it was a yeah, it was epic. Yeah, that was a big one. Well, yeah, we've we've sort of broken it down into four different um, four different categories for this uh, month. Anyway, uh, we're going to have a look at Marvel events uh, simply because they're running a couple at the moment, and they're pretty much of the highest quality. I got to say, I'm not always an event guy, whether it's DC or Marvel, but th their events are really really strong. So we'll kick off with that. After that, we'll do our little indie section. There is quite a few new number ones, new titles to discuss. After that, we'll jump into DC, and then we'll finish off with the Marvel ongoings. Um, there was only one title we could certainly finish with. Um, we'll talk about that whenever it which comes we up. Which we will get to. Uh, it's worth saying that these are uh, reviews for titles that were released in August 2019. That's what I said, August. Did you? Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm <laughs> this is Keith Shawnee doesn't yeah. listen. <laughs> I even said the last releases last month were the 28th of August. Jeez, he was concentrating on the nap beer. Yeah, that's anyway. what it was, that's what it was. <laughs> anyway. And we are spoiler-filled. We are spoiler-filled. But uh, yeah, we're going to kick it off with Marvel events, um, which is sort of broken into three. Uh, you've got the House and Powers event uh, by Jonathan Hickman, and then you've got Marvel 1000, which sort of a mini sort of celebration on its own, and then you've got Absolute Carnage, um, which is kicked off the, uh, in the month of August as well. We were going to kick off with a massive discussion on House and Powers, but Roddy hasn't read it. And I was probably not. I read the first one for the last review show, I think. Well, that's that's true, but this this is a title that, you know, I I personally think is rivaling Life Story for best Marvel event slash title mm -hmm. of the year. Um, and August was particularly good. It had House of X two, which was, which will be up there in the best single issues of the year, I would say, on its own. 
Um, also House of X3, which is part of a two-parter, but it sort of went into September. And again, it's one that I, I really wouldn't want to spoil too soon, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Powers of Ten one, you seem to be digging a bit more. Yep, definitely. Uh, I think the two fit together like a jigsaw. Um, I think the two title. I, I, I don't know how it, how it would be. I, don't, I guess you don't know how it would be to read just one of the titles yeah. or, or the other of the titles, but because they they just fit together so well. I, I I don't think I don't think you could do without. Yeah, without either. I mean, House of House of X is very much sort of the present. Powers of Ten is looking at four different time periods, all to the power of ten, which includes which includes the the, the House of X. So, um, as I say, we're we're not going to go into it too much now, simply because we came up with the idea that. Given that this is such an epic relaunch for the X-Men and the X-Titles, you'll have X-Men, X-Force, Excalibur, New Mutants, Fallen Angels, um, and Excalibur, is that what I'm missing? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yep. So you'll have all those coming in Nove- starting November. So we've actually decided we're going to do a special sort of, um, what did you refer to it as, a Dawn of X primer? Yes, I think so. We'll, we'll try and get something in between the end of House of X and Powers of X and the start of the... Yeah the ongoing titles where exactly where we can then break that down and then you can listen to it at your own leisure in terms of if you want to get into X-Men you'll maybe give a listen before then but yeah. at least that way that's all self-contained the one thing but and I mean if, that could have changed I mean our opinion could have changed I mean this could this could finish it. terribly yeah. you know but yeah. I, <laughs> I really such an optimist I tell you <laughs> I really don't think so <laughs> no I don't think so either I mean the quality you can tell Hickman's probably been working on this for years the man is a planner. Yeah. Hickman is a planner. Uh, he, if you'd read his um, his Avengers and his New Avengers uh, leading up to um, Infinity, uh, which was the the big story, and then the the Secret Wars stuff that he did, and and all of that stuff. I mean, the, he's a long term planner, and yeah. and I think what he's done with Powers of X is having those four different time periods has allowed him to plan this long term and then present it in a contracted way mm-hmm. so he's got the he's got the the year one you know where where Moira and, and Charles first meet if it year 10 which is the House, House of, of X. X yeah if it year 100 which is the near future the the uh, man and machine uh, I guess military versus the the mutants mm-hmm. and then in the far future you've got whatever's happened in the far future which is a thousand <laughs> years in so so what what Hickman's been able to do is is like a thousand years of planning, but then present it, yeah, contracted, you know, because of these four time periods, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, we really can't say at this point enough good words about it. So I think that's why it, it does sort of deserve its own one. Um, issue two completely shook everything. Oh, up. It was it was House of X two or House of X two? I beg your yeah. pardon. Uh, completely shook everything up. I mean, for me as a a relative novice to X-Men this was my concern getting into this we say we're not going to talk about it and then we're going to start talking about it um, <laughs> we'll give it a few minutes but, yeah. the, but this was my concern going in I mean I, I'm not the biggest X-Men um, fan in the world in terms of my knowledge would be very very limited a lot of my knowledge would actually come from the animated series you yeah. know and the movies and, and so forth and then the X-Men were sort of in the wilderness to my knowledge for a few years there yeah. um, maybe lacking a bit of direction and then this is very focused and my concern going into it was it's introducing that many characters that many ideas I was going to be lost mm-hmm. but the genius of this and, and you're going back to House of X one with this as well is when Magneto's showing all the politicians and government officials around Krakoa he's essentially your narrator he's filling you in on every detail 
So I've loved this. And issue two, as I say, shook things up in a massive way, but it probably didn't have the the impact on me that it would have had on a long term fan like yourself. Well issue two issue two to me introduced the mechanism by which Hickman is rebooting the X Men. And that mechanism is Moira McTaggart, who's a long term character in the X Men. She's a research scientist who was based on Muir Island in Scotland and she did a lot of research into mutancy and she met Charles at uh, university years ago and a lot of the stuff that they did did form the basis of the Xavier School of Gifted Youngsters mm-hmm. uh, and all of that sort of stuff and she was she's famous for being the mother of Proteus who's a reality altering mutant who um was a, was a big villain in the X-Men and it's just she's spinning out but never in this way so Moira was always a baseline human uh, whereas in House of X2 Hickman introduces her as a mutant and her mutant power is that she reincarnates yeah so but always with the previous knowledge, the knowledge of, the, of previous the previous life, life. and so that is the beauty <laughs> the beauty of this issue is Moira the first in her first life Moria lives out this life, uh, a normal life. She gets married, she has kids, da 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 da. She lives, she dies, and then she's reborn, but not reborn after her life. She's reborn back at the start again. So I think it's the same timeline. I think it's the same timeline, and Moira then has that knowledge as a child that she had from her first life, and she realises that if she leaves it alone and she doesn't make any decisions her life runs the way it would run anyway the same as her first life did but she can alter it she can make decisions make different decisions and look at as a scientist look at the, the path that that life then takes yeah mm-hmm. and you know that's when she, when she meets Xavier you know whenever she, she makes her, her first decision to go to university instead of be a homemaker yeah. uh, and it all goes from there and then we look at Moira's the 10 lives of Moira McTaggart uh, and it's fantastic <laughs> just so that's the mechanism by which Hickman I believe is rebooting the X-Men he's and the wonderful thing about issue 2 is it goes through these isn't it 10 lives yeah it goes through the many lives of the, many, the uncanny Moira life X. of Moira McTaggart and uncanny as you know is a very powerful word in X-Men lore uh, so it's it's just great stuff it's it's fantastic stuff um the way these the way these books are organized is there's large parts that are comic but there's large parts of text that explain and i think that's another uh it's hickman all, it's over, hickman all it? over yeah it yeah. means he's, he's he's doing in two pages of text what otherwise he wouldn't be able to do in a whole issue of comic yeah. book you know so the decisions that moira makes and the, the things she learns from her previous life and the way it's presented the way it's presented in the uh in the comic book itself and then her meeting with um with destiny and mystique you know who effectively tell her that she has to go down a certain path you know mystique can or destiny can see the future uh you know and effectively if she doesn't do a certain thing uh she'll be dead by her 11th life you know so Mm -hmm. Uh, or she'll be dead she'll be truly dead by her 11th life <laughs> so it's it's really awesome it's really it's really great we see well I'll not go too I'll not go too deeply into it but Moira's life hits all the beats of the X-Men stories throughout the years the formation of the X-Men the all new X-Men 
the Phoenix Five, the uh, Days of Future Past, um, the Age of Apocalypse in there the as well. The Age of Apocalypse is in there. The uh, the destruction of Genosha as a mutant nation, uh, and all of these things, and all of the different paths that Moira lets her life take, and and what then becomes of them. But it, it's really it leads us to where we're at now. We think, yeah, sort of. <laughs> not, not quite <laughs> but it, it really is well I mean this issue had also answered that question that they built all the adverts around of yes this is the most important scene in X-Men history yeah um, which was a silent scene but you could see it was Xavier sitting across from Moira and he sort of touches his temple obviously going to read her mind and I remember at the time Hickman retweeted it and said no this is not the most important panel in Marvel history this is the most important panels in comics history you know not to you know put it up too much but but yeah that was issue two and then issue three of of house i mean that 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 is significant because charles is reading moira's mind after she's had x number of lives yeah Uh (laughs) you know and you know he sees what has happened in her lives what has happened in the world before Mm -hmm. And it totally changes Xavier's path. Yeah. So that's why this is important. That's where the divergence comes. It's him reading Moira's mind after ten lives, and suddenly realizing everything that he's tried to do before, everything they've tried to do together before, hasn't worked. He has to do things differently, and that's where the reboot comes. Yeah. Wow, you know what I mean. Okay. So that's why it's the most important panel in X-Men history. <laughs> uh, tell me this, uh, Pepe Larraz, does he do both books? Uh, no, Pepe Larraz is the artist on House on Pars. It is R.B. Silva, uh-huh. uh, I believe. So they share art duties across the two books. Both Obviously, are beautiful. The thing is, their art styles are... They're not the same, but they're similar. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's not distracting going from one to another, I don't think. Um, but yeah, one of the most interesting parts, just going back to book two there, is uh, just keeps having to look at it now, is... It actually shows you the different timelines, the different lives. I think you have to be careful with the word timelines because I'm not sure that that's what it is. Yeah. I don't think it's timelines. I think it's her life over and over again within the same timeline, mm-hmm. which she changes. I think, uh, <laughs> but I'm not sure yet. But <laughs> but you've also noticed that uh, life six is mysteriously missing. Yes, absolutely, it is. And uh, Powers shows us uh, life nine. Uh, there's an and and Moira mysteriously disappears in Life Nine. There's a couple of them where her life mysteriously doesn't end. It just seems to continue. But we learn we learn about these lives in Powers, which is set in the future, and you know all sorts of cool cool stuff. Um. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I think we'll maybe just skip chatting about House Three and and Powers at this point, just because again we will be you know planning to do that full on one but I think it was just important maybe to chat quickly about issue 2 of House because I think that sets the tone for the rest of the series yep, yep. like that was definitely the big moment it, it is interesting just going back very quickly to the back of the books because they give you the reading order but there's this little theory that the three most key issues are the three issues in red so you've got so it's the reading order at the back of the issue and it's House Powers and then House of X2 is in red and then the next one in red is House of X5 and then House of X six. So there's this. Nope. There's this prevalent Par- theory. House of X six. No, no. Oh, this part. Beg your pardon. Mm-hmm. So there's this prevalent theory that at the very Jeez. back of the book, where the reading order is, these are the, these are the key, the key issues. 
I so don't, like, I don't know no. if you can have a key issues, please. <laughs> well, that's also I, true. I, you know, what's interesting as well is every issue that you read is given greater value by the issue that comes after it. Yeah. So wow. okay. you read mm-hmm. issue one. Well, then let me see the reading order now. Uh, you read issue... House, pars, house, pars, pars, house. Issue one of house and you're going, oh, wow. And then you read pars one and you're like, oh, okay, so that now makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, and then you read, you know, as you say, house number two yeah. and you, you, it links back to both house number one and powers number one. Mm-hmm. And you so so the, the next issue brings value. You and, know what I mean? Brings value to and the... And the release scheduling of this title really helps it because you've got one of them a week. You know, uh, it's house one yeah. week, it's powers next, whatever, whatever the next title is, it's weekly. Yeah. And I think it really benefits from that because there's so much going on in it. If you were to leave it, you know, doomsday clock length of time shall we say you would just be lost <laughs> yeah, you, would, you know yeah. they've again I think they've planned this for years uh-huh. and therefore they're delivering it weekly mm-hmm. no rel- no delays you know, it's killing me to say this like but you know no delays no mishaps and uh, I mean it does it does lend itself or what you say is exactly right it shows the impact that a carefully planned release schedule yeah. can have on the content of a book so yeah, cause, imagine um, the book you mentioned had been released in the time yeah. the manner that it was supposed to be released the impact that it might have had yeah. I think know? sometimes there's negativity around like a weekly release schedule as well but it seems they're focused obviously because they're building up to something Yeah, yeah. Yep. that the small it's just a small release schedule of weekly comics mm-hmm. now yeah. Alan was asking he goes how are you going to how are you going to file this away in your in your <laughs> system and I was going well how, House of X together and Powers of X together he goes I'm going to have to have house slash powers yeah. <laughs> and then the reading order yeah exactly yeah. I don't know if I could I don't know if I'd be able to do that <laughs> but no I'm going to have to it's, um, because if you ever want to go back to it to me if, if you go back to some of your issues I know obviously we read an awful lot of new stuff coming out but and you have a double bagged in boards yes yeah, so double, double bagged yeah, so yeah, exactly know, like, so it, I just think you need to put in the reading order so if you're in the mood to read it again sh- straight out yeah some sorry just uh, I've got powers to you open and it just it's interesting you know because the in the the year 1000 the x3 you know uh time period they're bringing back the phalanx who you know they're so he's so the phalanx were a massive part of x-men history as well uh warlock and Douglock and the phalanx covenant but they're he's knit that in here so that's what i'm really loving is the fact that he's knitting all these things in you know uh there's some really great dialogue as well uh some really brilliant dialogue. Uh, where was it now? Um, it may have been three, I think. Uh, yeah, that's what it was. Um, just towards the end of of three. Um, where was it now? Moira well, says. I mean, it's all good dialogue. It's great dialogue, but Moira <laughs> says to Wolverine, it's okay. I have what I need now and this is what you do it's just it's, you know Wolverine is the best there is at what he does <laughs> some really really good stuff really fantastic uh, loving this loving this and then uh, Powers 4 then we see the extension of one of the lives of Moira that you know the blanks are filled in by by Powers 4 so it's that's just great stuff <laughs> yeah I think you're right I think this is well up there yeah, and again, the last two issues, which again we won't really discuss much of now, but 
three and four. I mean, there's there's impactful deaths of all kinds in the next couple of issues, um, which we know in one way or another will be redone or rebooted or something because obviously X Men One's coming out, New Mutant, and so forth. But the way it's written, it has a real finality to it, and it's excellently done. It's emotionally done as well. So I think this is shaping up to be some of Hickman's best yeah. work. Yeah, um, absolutely. And easily one of Marvel's best titles of the year. So Man's a genius. Man's a genius. Definitely. I mean, it says it all. I, I think I said it before in a previous review show, but like just before House and Powers came out, the pre-orders weren't that big on it, and people maybe seemed a little fatigued with X Men and events and whatever. See now, it's the second highest pull for Marvel. The only thing bigger than it is Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, so okay. it's really grown in stature, and people are talking about it. And people want to jump on mm-hmm. it. And people mm-hmm. are asking us to. To backsource issues, jumping jump so. on all of this halfway through would be a real. Pain it would be a real mistake. <laughs> well, that's why I'm waiting. <laughs> so we'll we'll leave it there, so we don't spoil anything else for Roddy. But, right. uh, and and our lovely listeners, and of course, they, some of them might be in the same situation as I. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, keep an eye out for that podcast coming in about mm-hmm. five or six weeks. Then Sweet. it'll just be two hours of Keith gushing. <laughs> <laughs> you're, de- you're you're getting pretty gushy yeah. yourself on this now. Come on now, this is true. This is true. <laughs> now something I wasn't overly gushy about, but maybe you enjoyed a little more than me. Uh, Marvel Comics One Thousand. Um, this was to celebrate the eighty years of Marvel. We still don't know where the thousand comes from, but there you go. I don't know why they didn't just call it eighty years of Marvel. DC yep. had a probably significant yeah, but it just but the thing is they they focus a lot on the cover. It's like eighty years, eighty creative teams, one universe. Why not just call it eighty years of Marvel? Yeah, yeah. But I just, more, but that's it. And you're exactly right, Ronnie. That's what it was. There was a couple of important yeah. well, one thousand issues. We knew Marvel of a number one thousand. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty terrible. I it it, does, it, does, it doesn't work in an audio out. medium. You know, you know what the worst part of uh, the Marvel One Thousand on the on the cover is? It covers Alex Alex Ross's fine fine cover art. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really beautiful. Really beautiful cover. That's cover A. Yeah, and it's it's uh, hands opening an issue from from the reader's point of view and all of the the Marvel Comics characters jumping to life. So eighty years, eighty creative teams, one universe. Um, I wasn't overly taken with it. I think it was. I think it's a cool concept, but I don't know how you would execute it well. Yeah. Effectively, what it is is you've got eighty pages, one page dedicated to each of the eighty years of Marvel, um, and eighty creative teams who variously uh, joined up to do each page. Um, right. What they have tried to do um, is that. Al Ewing has been the writer on a lot of the pages. Whether Al Ewing is teamed up with Steve Epting, is teamed up with Pat Zurcher, um, is teamed up with Leonardo Romero, is teamed up with Joshua Casara, um, and then you've got you know, so Al Ewing writes a lot of the pages, and the pages that Al Ewing writes Seem are telling together are a continuing story. As I say, each page is a year, so the first page is nineteen thirty nine, and each page notes. 1939, The Human Torch debuts in Marvel Comics number one, uh, and there's a story. Um, page two, 1940, the three X's appear in Mystic Comics number one. So, what they've done is effectively they've retconned various things through through the 80 years of Marvel, and Al Ewing has weaved a story joining these previously unjoined things together in order to create like nearly a conspiracy style story that yeah. that runs from 1939 right through to 2019 okay um, and then beyond because uh, it does sort of yeah uh, hint at the fact that this story will continue in modern comics in a 
conspiracy will be unraveled. Yeah, exactly. So, so the the pages that Al Ewing writes are connected, and then there are other sometimes seemingly unconnected pages. You know, for example, nineteen forty three, Miss America debuts in Marvel Mystery Comics, but the page is about uh, America Chavez. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the who is Miss America in the modern day. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great page, lovely nineteen forty four. The Captain America movie hits the big screen, but there's a lovely uh, text and uh, portrait page by Mark Wade and John Cassidy because John Cassidy's class, and it just talks about you know it's a it's a bit of a bit of a, a thing about masks you know but it's it's not a comic page per se so and so so some of them are linked to the the story some of them aren't linked to the story but they all hit all of the pages are are at least linked to to certain things throughout. Marvel history, so it's it's kind of worth it. It's, it's the the base story seems to be about this mask, the Eternity mask, which was uh, the mask on um, the Black Rider initially in nineteen forty eight, and how it was created and where it's from, and it seems to be passed through history. Yeah, almost. passed through history in a, in a in a way, but it's interesting. It's interesting. It it's a wee bit disjointed. Um, For me, the most charming pages in it were ones that were a bit more comedic. Bit lighter in touch. Um, there's one that's uh, the Incredible Hulk, and it's Alex Ross writes yeah, and draws right. it. Yeah, yeah. And it's literally an interviewer, sort of. It's over, I think, six panels, maybe seven panels. And uh, the interviewer's just like, "So, what? What did you make of your latest adventure?" Blah blah blah. And the Hulk's not answering, not answering. Then the Hulk just basically gobbles up the microphone and then walks off. <laughs> it's a silly little thing. I actually did like that one. Actually, the introduction of Wolverine. Yeah, I think it was called like Exit Stage Left or some stage uh, center. Enter Stage Center, yeah, um, by Roy Thomas and Rod Reyes. And it's, so it's lovely to see some of those creative teams together. It was based on the idea of like Wolverine being set up behind the scenes, behind the curtains. Like, right, are you ready for your close up? And do you know all the character details? And you know where are you from? And this and that. And it's like right, and then you hear you can see the dialogue is being spoken beyond the curtain, and it's all the dialogue from Incredible Hulk one eight one when Wolverine's yeah, yeah, first yeah. introduced. Yeah. So there's some nice stories here and there, but you almost wish they could have breathed and a little it's, more. It's interesting as well because in that Wolverine story, uh, you've got three, uh, you've got three shadows who are, you know, three very distinctive silhouettes. Yeah. Who are the creators of Wolverine? Uh, you know, and uh, you know they're going name Wolverine, nationality Canadian, eh? <laughs> Attributes short and fierce, you know, and then they just they effectively send him out onto the stage right into the middle of the scene of Hulk and Wendigo yeah. and that's the origin yeah, of like, what yeah. and so it began yeah there's a really lovely uh, Jerry Conway and Greg Land uh, have a really lovely uh, uh, 1973 page about Gwen Stacy which was the year that, that Gwen Stacy died uh, so there is some really some lovely stuff some really lovely stuff uh, and some really cool stuff you know Punisher's origin revealed Matthew Rosenberg who's the current writer and the Punisher writes it there's a weird out of place uh, Darth Vader uh, <laughs> one which was whenever Star Wars becomes the first Marvel comic in the golden age to sell over a million copies you know so they have all they do have all sorts of cool stuff in here but uh, so yeah it's worth it's definitely worth picking up I think as it's intended which is something to have something to yeah. have vacation yeah. Yeah. it wouldn't be as Alan and I have discussed um the best marking of Marvel's eighty years. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's 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 like a like like something you pick up as a souvenir. You know what I mean? Okay, and it's yeah. interesting. It is, and it definitely is interesting. I like what they've tried to do. I don't know if they've pulled it off, but I've liked what they've tried to do, for sure. Cool. Chip Zdarsky's uh, two thousand and eight Iron Man movie. 
Yeah. Uh, one was interesting. All the different faces of yeah, Iron Man, exactly. and then nothing at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that making a few people teary. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, Marvel Comics one thousand. Yeah, worth a look, but as you say, it's not going to set anybody on fire. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's true what you say there about the market in the 80th anniversary. Well, I mean. We discussed it quickly. Actually, think Invaders is a better marking of the eighty years of yep, Marvel. Twelve yep. issues, one every month of the year. So, uh, but again, that's just obviously a personal and it's thing. About, it's about Namor. It's about the Human Torch. Yep. It's about Captain America. Yeah, a combination of it and Marvel's uh, annotated. I would yep. say, or to yep. be better, uh, absolutely. But uh, one event that I have to say has been remarkably good so far, and I don't know why I didn't think it would be. But again, I wasn't very hyped for this. Um, I'd sort of fallen off Venom a little bit. Um, I do still obviously read Amazing Spider-Man, but Absolute Carnage has been hyped for, I don't know, three, four, five months, for a yeah, long, long time. really has. And obviously we had War of the Realms prior to this, which obviously Keith really enjoyed. I thought it was great as well. What was notable during War of the Realms was that there was three Venom tie-in issues, and instead of the normal um, creative team of Donny Cates and Rand Stegman, it was Colin Bunn writing them. I can't remember the artist. Um, yep. Beg your pardon for that. But this was obviously because Stegman and Kitts were off working on this. And it shows. This first issue of Absolute Carnage might be one of the best first issues of anything I've ever read. It's oversized. I think it has next to no adverts in it, breaking it up. The artwork is genuinely frame-worthy on almost Glorious every single page. Stegman's um, really... He's really top of his game here. you know they express their ideas really really quickly of how you know different characters have been you know infected with a symbiote at different times throughout what's, history what's really lovely is that the first three pages set up the entire so Venom Donny Cates and Red Stegman and Venom have been brilliant you know they've been really that, that, that book has been setting this up for since the start <laughs> it really has you know this long game stuff from Donny Cates which is but, interesting yeah, because I know nothing of the long game, but I picked it up straight away. Exactly, I know exactly what's and going on, and that is what's cool. So the first three pages introduce the the symbiote god of Null, uh, K N U L L. He's the one who created the symbiotes. He was their god, uh, waged war across the cosmos. Um, symbiotes rose up against them, caged him, and what we used to think of was the planet of the symbiotes. There was an entire Marvel miniseries back in the nineties called the Planet of the Symbiotes. <laughs> you know, so he's he's pulling that in. Uh, just billions of his own creations forming a cage around him and holding him um, anyway flash forward uh, a billion years and you've got me that's Eddie Brock Venom um, he doesn't go through the stuff about the God Butcher and uh, and the stuff in Jason Aaron's Thor which is all pitched into this uh, so Eddie Brock bonded with one of those creations and it comes down to it that um that he wasn't the only people person that was bonded with a symbiote, wasn't the only person that was bonded with a Venom symbiote. And every time that someone was bonded with a symbiote or an offspring of a symbiote, uh, they left a little piece of them behind wrapped around your DNA. It's how their species communicates information about their hosts to the larger hive. And that little piece of a thing is what we're calling a codex. Uh, Venom, and Venom has been cut off from the, the, the hive for a long time, but uh, the important part is that if all those little pieces of the codex can be collected, whoever holds them all can reconnect to the hive, and maybe, just maybe, they can talk to God, and maybe they can wake him up. So that, that's it. That, that, that's the, the general central conceit of this uh, miniseries, would you say, Alan? 
I would say so. I mean, yeah. I, I love that it literally jumps straight on to Eddie Brock walking along with this kid. Um, they haven't revealed in this who the kid is at this point. Sure, they haven't. Uh, Venom, or they think he's his brother. Comes, is it comes later? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Venom. Venom. We know readers of Venom know that that uh, that this this kid. Um, but he hasn't revealed it to him. No, the no. kid does not know that he is in fact not Eddie's brother. He's his son. He's his son. Yeah. But I like that that those first three pages you discussed are beautiful art wise beautiful setup for readers but then it, it becomes like this is the story Eddie's telling the kid and he's like and then we all die any questions and it's <laughs> it's great because we go from this epic story to this rainy New York yeah. alleyway you know um, but yeah just again the artwork just sings here um, I suppose it's important as well at this point Eddie Brock actually isn't Venom he's disconnected from that, the symbiote isn't that's it? right yeah um, and you can sort of see someone's following Eddie and the kid through the streets so course Eddie's really suspicious of it they run away they run down to um, this train platform and then that's when you're introduced for the first time to uh, Cletus I believe mm-hmm. um, who's actually standing behind a newspaper sort of keeping tabs on Eddie and then pushes him onto the train line which is a wee Dark Tower reference a wee Stephen King's Dark Tower reference there was a villain <laughs> in the Dark Tower called the Pusher and that's what he did he waited and pushed people onto roads or pushed and famously pushed people from uh, platforms onto subway tracks uh, so there's a wee Stephen King reference Charming there. man mm-hmm. and then that's where it's revealed the person in the trench coat following Eddie who he thought was someone suspicious is actually the symbiote mm-hmm. and then you have like if ever I could own an original piece of art this is this is high on the list this massive double page spread of the symbiote uh, forming a body to protect um, Eddie and the kid the train just smashing the pieces and then just the big letters of us yeah. How about those letters? Yeah, and that uh, uh, that scene with the train is a is a nod to an old Venom issue where Venom stopped a subway train in order to save a kid. Oh, okay. Yeah so. Mm. yeah, so this is basically then uh, the symbiote then reattaches to Eddie, um, but Eddie's resisting. Eddie doesn't want to be attached to the symbiote, which again knocks back to to the Venom series. Yeah. But then it obviously reaches Carnage turning up um, again. Massive epic fighting scene starting to um, starting to unfurl and and Carnage looks in a way he looks like he has never looked before. Yeah, very uh, skeletal. He's massively he's massive. He's seven feet tall. He's he's very skeletal. You can see his uh, his his body is only connected to his, his torso is only connected to his legs by you can see his his symbiote covered spine. Yeah. Uh, Cletus is not a well man. Uh, in fact, I don't think he's even a living man. <laughs> you know, I think it's the you know it, it's he's pretty horrific, like pretty horrific, and he has the symbol of the the the, the symbol of null in the middle of his forehead, the the god, which is a first. Yeah, and Eddie's actually able to take Carnage down by the power of electricity, using the train lines. I love some of the art here, the like the little sad looking symbiotes because they think Eddie's dead for a second. It's yeah. like, Eddie, Eddie, wake up, you have to go. He's got these really sad eyes. The symbiote's taken on this uh, this sort of um, aspect in Venom. You know, it, uh-huh. it's it, it's it's not quite as it's lonely without Eddie and you yeah. know it actually sacrificed itself, it sacrificed its personality in Venom in order to save Eddie. And for oh, a while, then it didn't have any personality, and it didn't, you know. And so this is this is the reemergence of the symbiote. But it's and since since he discovered the the 
the god and all the god and the, he fought the Grendel dragon and all of this sort of stuff uh, which was the symbol of gods the, the symbiote gods avatar you know the, the, the venom symbiote has been kind of a wee bit of a scaredy cat yeah and it's uh, so he's obviously taking Carnage down but then and we can co- see you can see under whatever the, the symbiote is off Carnage yeah you can see he's just skull and bones yeah, I mean, even just a big eye popping out there <laughs> underneath, just sort of uh, Carnage is laughing to himself, and Eddie's come to the realisation very quickly that he's not sure he can stop him on his own. I mean, the thing is, the first time I was reading this, I completely forgot that Spider-Man was going to be in this, because yeah, it was so yeah. Venom-focused. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you get this part where uh, they're walking through the rain trying to find something. I thought this was a cool wee uh, reference, the door number. <laughs> 616. <laughs> the number of the mainline Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was a really nice touch. And I on... hadn't noticed that before. No? Yeah, good shout, good shout. Um, but yeah, and then you see Parker being shouted to, and I was like, oh yeah, Spider-Man's in this. I forgot and about that. Not only that, but that's Randy. Yeah. That's Randy Robertson. That's Joe Robertson's son, who is uh, Peter Parker's roommate in... Amazing Spider-Man and Friendly Neighbors. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what's really cool about it as well, I should say, is that they've divided it into chapters. Again, gives it this really sort of epic feel. Um, the first chapter was called The Bleeding King. Uh, the second one's called The Godson. Oh, that's another Stephen King reference, The Bleeding King. Yeah. The villain in the Dark Towers called The Red King. Yeah, I think... Uh, okay. I know we both have listened to some of Stegman and his Amazing Friends podcast. Fantastic podcast. Uh, you know, it's it's wonderful, so it is. And there was one ish, uh, one episode where they went through this entire thing. And what's interesting is this wasn't even supposed to be an event. It was just supposed to be arc four of their Venom oh, run. Yep. But it yep. just got that big. But So I think it's worth pointing out that this is the first time in that, if you consider this to be part of the Venom run, this is the first time that Peter Parker has appeared so this is actually the first time Donnie yeah. Gates is writing yeah Spider-Man yeah. yeah he would be a good shout to uh, take over any Spider-Man title then yeah um, the fact that it all begins I mean you, that first chapter is just unbelievably epic and large and action filled and then the second chapter begins with them sitting in a cafe talking <laughs> and it's probably even better than all the action stuff you know it just kicks off with Spidey rubbing his head being like oh I hate symbiote stuff so much just so so much um, but it's literally um, Eddie telling uh, Peter everything about uh, about what's going on and obviously asking for his help that's it's kind of interesting as well does Eddie so Eddie has always known that Spider-Man is Peter Parker the symbiote gave him that knowledge yeah okay but then when, when Brand New Day rolled around uh, Peter Parker removed Spider-Man removed the knowledge of his identity post-Civil War from everybody's minds using Doctor Strange and such uh, or sorry Mephisto but I think Eddie has to know that Peter is Spider-Man because it's such a big part of his origin yeah I think he has to you know mm-hmm. and uh, Peter says Spidey says so pe- the, the interesting thing is they're sitting at this diner the kid has his earphones on and is reading a book uh, Eddie's in his leather jacket and his hoodie and his glasses and Spider-Man's in his costume <laughs> <laughs> you know and he says, well, when Peter Parker called me, I knew it was important that... And uh, Eddie says, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he's almost saying that, yeah, yeah, well done, yeah. Peter. Yeah, I know, I know who he is. Uh, yeah. Spider-Man knows the secret of Eddie's. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And he's trying, to, he's trying to get him to tell the son... Basically, tell Eddie to reveal, reveal himself as the, the kid's father. And just to be honest with him. Okay. It's very good. There's loads of, like... The, 
it's it's quite surprising how much like low-key character drama there is as well as well as crazy uh symbiote god monster stuff and crazy battles yep yep i like that very quick line there where eddie's brother slash son refers to spider-man as a menace that's just uh <laughs> Yes, obviously he reads some J. Yeah, John Jameson yeah, stuff. I mean the, the 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 dialogue is fantastic. It's and it's it's uh it's I mean Donny Cates was doing a great job around Spider Man. Um and it works as well with yep. the expressive Stegman's uh, very expressive Spider Man and the symbiotes as well. The those eyes. I love yeah. I love the Spider Man eyes. And the yeah, that's exactly that's I mean Spider Man is clearly suspicious of the, you know, they have this conversation. Uh, he sends Dylan. He says, Dylan, why don't you go and read at the counter and let me and Spider-Man talk? Yeah. And Dylan goes, okay, Eddie. Stay where I can see you. Okay, Eddie. And Spider-Man's just looking at the back of his head with an old eyes. <laughs> and uh, keeps looking. And then Eddie goes, what? And Spidey goes, you have a child with you. Please explain. It's not a big deal. We don't need to talk about uh, Incorrect. You're Eddie Brock. You're Venom. <laughs> can you keep it down? <laughs> you're Venom. And you're very casually walking around with custody of a small child. <laughs> if you want my help, you're very much going to talk about that. Who is he? Where did you get him? Explain, please. Oh, and then he says, he's my kid, Pete. So he does know, obviously, he does know he's Pete. He's like, hence the immediate dislike of you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, as you say, there's a couple of nice way emotional beats here. And then, of course, you get back to the, the crazy stuff again. Uh, with this mass grave being found in uh, New Jersey. That's a throwback to uh, a recent web of venom uh, issue. And General Thunderbolt Ross, his body being discovered amongst it. Ooh. Angelo Fortunato, who was previously a venom as well. Um, Yep. Thunderbolt Ross, who was famously the, obviously, Thunderbolt Ross, but also the Red Hulk. And I did like this little thing as well because I I like the idea of Spider-Man sitting having a conversation with Eddie, but there also has to be an element of people walking by being like, "Is that Spider-Man?" But the kid at the counter like turns the TV over, and Eddie tries to attack him. He's like, "Hey, what the hell? I was watching that." Oh, come on, buddy! People are trying to eat here. Turn it back. Spider-Man grabs him back, and he's like, "Sorry about my friend. He's just a former journalist. He hits the print is dead." Um, and then the guy behind the counter is like hey yeah Comic Con until November you know so they're obviously trying to make yeah, it it's just yeah, some yeah, yeah, yeah. some fan dressed up as Spider-Man rather than being the actual Spider-Man you know so uh, yeah really Peter really, Parker's ego really great stuff but of course when the two of them are in there someone has to try and rob the place <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as soon as the robbers walk in they look straight away at uh, Spider-Man and they're just like oh shit <laughs> And then Spider-Man's like, flip a coin. Venom, nah, you got it. Come on, Dylan. You can finish Spider-Man's fries. So, uh, yeah, all that good stuff. And then this was a part that semi, not massively confused me at first because, again, I, I dropped off of Venom, but this is Reed Richards from an alternative timeline. That is the maker, yes. That's yep. Reed Richards from the ultimate timeline. Yeah. So the ultimate universe timeline. And what's interesting and what I really love what they've done is... Can you see the difference in the print between heroes from our universe and characters from the Ultimate Universe? Oh, the lettering? Yeah, the lettering. Yeah. And, oh, okay. yeah, and that's, yep. you can always tell an Ultimate Universe character by the fact that they have lowercase lettering. Yeah. Whereas, and they've, they've kept that right the way through. Oh, that's a cool touch. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Obviously, uh, the, the main universe just keeps it all in capitals. Yep, that's it, that's it. Um, 
So the Megger has been a part of uh, the Venom storyline for the past few issues, and he's building he's building a machine that can remove codexes from previous symbiote hosts. Um, but of course, he wants to try it on someone. So uh, Peter has brought along uh, little Normie, little Normie Osborn, <laughs> Norman Osborn's uh, grandson, Harry Osborn's son, who was during the end of Dan Slot's run infected with a Carnage symbiote. Yeah. Um, as part of that red, the Red Goblin storyline. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's kind of it's kind of cool and. Uh, the, the the meeting between uh, Dylan, who Eddie introduces as his little brother, uh, to Normie is kind of interesting, and and then we uh, we head to the next chapter, the long dark, the long red dark, and we're heading to Ravencroft Institute for the Criminal Insane, which is Marvel's version of Arkham Asylum. Yeah. Um, and you can tell <laughs> there's iron gates, there's towers, there's windows with lights on. Uh, it's never been a very nice place um, and they're there because uh, they they don't want to I guess they're there again, they don't want to use they don't want to use Normie as the first as uh, the guinea, guinea pig, pig to try and, so yeah, who do they say they're gonna, who do they say they're going to grab Normie's grand Normie's grandfather uh, yeah. the Green Goblin the Red Goblin Norman Osborn uh, who is in Ravencroft so Spidey has called ahead his buddy John Jameson who is the uh, son of uh, J. Jonah Jameson uh, is the is a, is a, a warden there and he lets them in but uh, as as the heroes arrive at Ravencroft so too does Carnage or Cletus Cassidy rather who is a horrible individual <laughs> yeah, I mean there's been a lot of sort of black and dark tones to it at this point but then you get into like this neon red for the rest of the issue and it's frankly like something just out of a horror movie yeah really is um, you know I'm pulling out all the little tiny pieces of the symbiote while singing and walking along yeah, and just he, casually tossing them into cells to he, infect other people he rips open his own chest and pulls out these maggots that are like symbiote maggots and throws them as you say into the cells and infects the criminals with the symbiotes and uh, Ma- massive horrible. props to whoever the colorist is at this point yeah, as well that's horrible um, I think they deserve a little shout out Frank Martin um, because the colors are absolutely gorgeous here and um, obviously red means pain red means death it's uh, yeah it's a frankly pretty horrible scene and it's and it's very tense as well because it's very, a very slow build where they're at the end of the end of the corridor and it's sort of like at first I can't place it sounds like a swarm a biblical plague and then it hits me do you hear that? that sound it's not locusts it's teeth mm. then you've got this beautiful two page spread of you know infected inmates with the carnage symbiote all charging towards them with uh, Cletus in the background just laughing maniacally and of course we go from we go from having to capture Norman Osborn to having to save Norman Osborn because Norman Osborn has a codex in him which uh, Cletus wants which Carnage wants it's a it's a whole nightmare yeah. it really is there was a couple of interesting things first of all uh, did you notice that um, the symbiotes mm-hmm. that he's created all have six arms all have four arms rather than I'd noticed it with a couple of them. I didn't yeah. realize it was all yep. of them. They all, most of them, anyway, seem to have uh, seem to have four arms, and that's explained in absolute carnage lethal protectors mm-hmm. why they have four arms. And also, 
uh, whenever it comes to it and they meet uh, Norman uh, Norman himself Norman's not Norman uh, Norman looks an awful lot like Cletus Cassidy mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which is interesting in itself and it ends with our heroes trying to batter their way through a wall to get out our heroes are say Venom Venom is clearly one of the protagonists here uh, trying to, to get their way out of uh, Ravencroft and, and not succeeding uh, and that was the end of that's just issue one of Absolute Carnage <laughs> yeah yeah um, it's a massive sized first oh, issue fantastic um, again I think they've kept the adverts to a minimum if at all I don't think there's a, oh there's one or two but it's literally one or two um, because this is a book where I think pace is very important it just yeah. moves it just moves this is like a train like this is like a it's like that train that Venom stopped in the first issue yeah. it's just it's just <laughs> going and going like it's uh, yeah I'm really looking yeah, forward really, to it really enjoyed it really yeah. really enjoyed it it's just action and and horror and uh, it's just uh, Cletus going after Carnage going after people who have had the symbiote. Matt Gargan, the Scorpion, was a previous Venom as well. And you he know, shows so, up in and, issue two, doesn't he? Yeah, it does, and it's just uh, it's just brilliant. Um, the the concept that what Donny Cates has clearly done has gone. Jesus, a whole whole host of characters in the Marvel Universe over the past 30 years that 25 years 30 years that I've had symbiotes what joins them together what, you know what I mean what, what, can, what can I do with that and it's just brilliant it just is it's something else so. issue 2 the art just continues to be stellar I mean that's beautiful opening page with like the close up face of Cletus meddled with the sort of the close up of uh, Carnage um one thing I really loved in this issue was just where Venom actually, you know, pulls out wings and they're flying out and Peter's hanging on to him. He's like, what's going on right now? I hate, I hate all of it. And it's just all one line. <laughs> Eddie and Venom have learned a lot of a lot of tricks from uh, from meeting or being involved in with Null, the, the god, yeah. the symbiote god and, the, and Grendel. So he's, he's got a lot of tricks that he didn't have before. Even as Agent Venom when he, you know, when Flash had the symbiote and, and learned some tricks. Uh, but yeah, this is definitely this is definitely the best of Venom, the best of Donny Cates, and the best of Ryan Stegman. Like yeah, and uh, yeah, worth definitely worth listening to uh, the podcast we referred to Stegman and his amazing friends, yeah. mm-hmm. which uh, is Donny Cates, Ryan Stegman, you know, and the and first few guests. issues are are talking about absolute carnage or abs car as they're calling it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, very good indeed. Very and then, good. And then quite the dark ending at the end of issue two. Yeah. Per per miles. Per miles indeed, yeah. You know, so I like that idea as well that, you know, even big characters, it's not like anybody's really safe. Yeah. Um and I'd be very surprised if at some point it doesn't take over either Eddie or Peter. Oh yeah. Very yeah, surprised. Um, um this is a Venom story, so it's gonna be Peter. Yeah, what was interesting? There's an unused cover in the back. Uh, it's horrible, Mark Bagley, but it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> we promise to make that up to you, Mark, once yeah. we get further on into certain titles. I'm totally. He's, he's, yeah, it was early, Mark Bagley. He's clearly come a long way. Um, so just uh, the I've read a couple of the one shots or the tie-in issues. The tie-in yeah. issues. So um, I've got Symbiote of Vengeance read this week. It interests me, the Ghost Rider one. Uh, I've got it too. Um, I read the uh, the was it separation anxiety the symbiote yeah. Spider Man one. It was just um, by Peter David. It was great. 
lovely story but again that's that's next month rather than this month I guess um, so I guess I got it picked up the other day I didn't think I wanted it uh, and then I realised something about it uh, so this is Absolute Carnage Lethal Protectors by Frank Thierry and um, and Flaviano is the artist um, the art's they are, there's nothing wrong with the art at all uh, it's it's not up to Stegman standard in Absolute Courage but it does alright um, but what I realised about it was that this on the front cover at least anyway are the original heroes from Maximum Carnage which was the original Carnage crossover back in the 90s um, when Carnage and his mad family consisting of Scream and the Demo Goblin and the Doppelganger and uh, Carrion and someone else uh, went mad and went on a rampage around New York and uh, Spider-Man and a bunch of street level heroes got together in order to stop and some of the street level heroes were Iron Fist, Morbius the Living Vampire and Cloak and Dagger all four of which are on the front cover and I thought oh actually that's interesting you know that's a wee flashback to the 90s so um, it's not bad uh, it says uh, the town of Doverton Colorado was once taken over by the symbiotic psychotic killer Cletus Cassidy aka Carnage which was um, an earlier story I think Carnage USA was what it was while researching the disinterred graves of Doverton John Jameson uncovered a massive cult worshipping the symbiote god Null that's where the 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 grave the mass grave and absolute yeah, carnage one in the news report uh, Misty Knight uh, was dispatched to locate Jameson after he went missing during his investigation she discovered him naked with gaps in his memory uh, they left on a road trip back to New York but all is not as it seems with John Jameson and John Jameson last we saw letting Spidey and Venom into, into the prison the prison the and the things went a bit pear-shaped uh, so this the events of this story take place abs after Absolute Carnage 1 and 2 if you haven't read them yeah go ahead so this tells the story of John Jameson and uh, it starts off at that same point with Eddie and Venom with Peter and Venom Spider-Man and Venom uh, winging <laughs> their way towards Ravencroft making that call to John Jameson but then we, figure, we find out what John Jameson did or in was the doing in the interim yeah. and okay. all was not well with John um, Carnage is already Carnage is already in the prison um, and John is under his thrall and has been since Doverton uh, Misty Knight has been captured she's not doing well we talked about those six armed symbiotes mm -hmm. and uh, and this is why they, the, the doppelganger who was a Spider-Man villain who was like a demonic version of the four-armed Spider-Man whenever he had multiple arms whenever he grew two extra arms um, six-limbed Spider-Man uh, they're on site here and it was them that were infected by the by the Carnage's nastiness so uh, yeah story about Misty about John um, we find out how John was infected with a symbiote uh, but John Jameson is also the man wolf so the symbiote inside him caused him to trigger his man wolf side and uh, all sorts of stuff so it's it's it's, it's really interesting stuff um, so it is it's all about um, Carnage sacrificing someone in order to bring back uh Demo Goblin, who was another one of his vicious family back in Maximum Carnage, he sacrifices his so-called love shriek and bring back, brings back Demo Goblin as Demo Goblin, a female version of the Demo Goblin. <laughs> it's really interesting stuff. So I think I'm going to stay on this. What was interesting and what Stephen mentioned to me was that none of the characters on the front page uh, appear in the book. So, oh, right. so the okay. thing that attracted me to the book in the first place. <laughs> 
was false strange yeah it was it was false advertising but it was a really good story <laughs> is that why you're sticking with it because they might turn up an issue too partly but also because <laughs> what I read in the story was pretty cool and it filled in a gap yeah from Absolute Carnage 1 and 2 well it is interesting because it's Frank Thierry as well he was obviously one of the guests on the Stegman podcast that's right and he has written some of the Web of Venom stuff so he's obviously heavily invested in this yeah, event yeah. as well because I think he's writing a couple of the tie-in issues I believe I so he was really really New York and oh the... my god it almost sounded <laughs> false you know it, it's like you're listening to an episode of Goodfellas or something yeah. you know yeah. or The Sopranos it's like proper New York <laughs> you know and you're just thinking is that accent real but he was a really <laughs> funny and charming guy as well yeah very much um, so very much so weirdly enough as we recommend that podcast as much as we recommend it for the absolute carnage stuff you have to listen to Chips and Dark School <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible uh, it's one of the funniest things uh, I think I have listened to in a long time I think you thoroughly enjoy it yeah. yeah yeah I, I so. need to get on it yeah so yeah so yeah that's uh, sort of covering the Marvel events as I say uh, we'll jump on away from that and on to a bit of indie stuff um, as ever I mean anybody listening to this podcast know I mean we're big fans of the indie comics as well um, we've got good stuff this month from Image from IDW um, we got from is it Dark Horse for Tommy, Tommy. yeah Tommy Tommy it is, yeah, it is. It? Yeah. yeah so there's a couple of different um, publishers on the go here uh, we sort of looked at a couple of number ones as and well boom. as sorry boom, um, boom yeah, sorry yeah, beg your pardon yeah. the indie title of the month possibly mm-hmm. is uh-huh. boom yeah and this was a big deal well, in fact we'll start there uh, with that one simply because this is a title we were always going to jump on ourselves because obviously we promote die an awful lot in this podcast we love Kieran Gillen's work um, and there was a lot of stuff in the previous book about Kieran Gillen doing his first book ever at Boom and he was leading with this book which is called Once in Future uh, he is on writing duties you've got longtime Boom artist uh, Dan Mora uh, drawing mm-hmm. and just because I love her uh, love the name I'm going to have to say the colours Tamara Bond villain ah, she uh, did Alien 3 indeed yeah. indeed so uh, yeah once in future I mean you can tell this is going to deal with the sort of the legend of King Arthur in one way or another he's done more of the artist on the Klaus stuff yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think he's done done a lot of WWE or WWE stuff I think oh, showing your age yeah, there Roddy too old you know, Power Rangers all the kids yeah, yeah. all the kids that listen to this will be going what's WWF yeah. yeah. is that the World Wildlife Federation day. let me tell you a story kids about when wrestling was great um, yeah so Once in Future as I say this is um, it's going to be a new ongoing by Kieran Gillen um, to give you some idea of the success of this book already and it's only one issue in it's currently going back for it's sixth printing uh, now for an indie book that in fact for any comic I that's think that's hard. pretty exceptional um, obviously Boom is not one of the sort of bigger indie publishers I'd sort of say they're medium size but they do produce some great stuff usually licensed stuff uh, yeah. Buffy is Boom uh, Power Rangers as you say but this is a this is a 100% original um, which is obviously going to deal with the legend of King Arthur in one way or another so it kicks off um, in Cornwall Great Britain it, it kicks off at this uh, what looks to be in uh, archaeological dig it's an archaeological dig uh, beside a an almost dried up lake yeah uh, which is significant because yeah. there's a lot of stories about a sword and a lake mm. but what's interesting what I love about it it subverts your expectations straight away because for this it's not interested in the knife or the blade or the sword it's interested in what holds the sword the scabbard yeah indeed mm-hmm. um, so you have this uh, interesting little thing where they've come across this scabbard and 
couple of people are talking saying like if you have any idea what this is about suddenly some heavies show up kill the people who had found it and uh there were some heavies with a looks like a St George's cross on their chest yeah I mean I love the uh the misdirected patriotism here of uh, well, uh you can't do this oh I think I can what do you want England back so a bunch of Brexiteers are still in the scabbard <laughs> I knew Brexit would make it in this podcast at some point just because Keith voted for Brexit Keith did not <laughs> far from it I take that back I just couldn't resist the wind up um but yeah, so it jumps away from there and into uh, an old folks home, which is quite the unusual jump, to say the least, but it introduces one of the main characters of this book, and she is amazing. She's fantastic, yeah. Um, I almost think she's the main character of the book. You don't get introduced to her name too quickly. Um, I don't think her name is actually... Her name's Bridget. Do they say that in the start? Oh, oh yes, there we go. One of the, the wards come along, the orderlies come along and say, Bridget... So yeah, there's a TV report on in the background talking about this archaeological site and what happened and all the rest. The murder at the archaeological site. <laughs> and all these old people are going, yes, Bake Off, turn it over to Bake Off. Um, I do not like her pastry. She calls that pastry and, and then Bridget like jumps in and goes, yes dear, do change the channel if you really want. But broken fingers take so long to heal at our age. I really wouldn't. What's interesting is she's not even looking at the report. She's listening to it. <laughs> and she's not even looking at any of them. Yeah, but they yeah. instantly know when she says something to go like, yeah. well, it's always good to hear local news. She listens to the news and uh, she hears about the uh, the recent find of the 6th century scabbard. And just under her breath, she goes, bugger. <laughs> um, and then you jump from them to I believe it is her grandson her grandson's horrible date yep. that he's having that just is not going well at all and he's in Bristol nice to see uh, nice to see a comic set in our well our neck of the woods <laughs> our shores would you our like, islands would you like a uh, shovel to keep digging or <laughs> It's all... nice to see something set outside of the States. Why don't we go with that? Nice to see something set you know, we've... in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> Is it still part? Uh, yeah. So yeah, because anyway, so we've jumped yeah. from Cornwall to Somerset and now to Bristol. His, uh, his date is, uh, is upset by, uh, well, it's already upset by the fact he's pouring wine all over his, his date. And, you know, she's kind of going, well, I should have known better. Uh, you know, I wondered why you were a single rugby playing academic. <laughs> <laughs> but his gran phones him she has escaped from the old people's home and uh, in a very understated way uh, it's gran are you busy um, he's like you ran you ran away from the home and she goes it seemed easier than making a fuss they're such big fussers can you come I've got a little problem I need a little help with I, I won't take very won't long, take very long. <laughs> I've got news for you Bridget this is an ongoing comic series it might take a while yeah and what's interesting <laughs> I mean he's clearly a great grandson because yeah. he just jumps up from this date you know yeah. and goes right I need, I need to go my grand needs me and he ends up coming to find her in the middle of the woods digging up a bunker and again there's a lot, a lot of little nods to her age and stuff like that you know, she's saying oh I'm just having some trouble everything is so much heavier now you know and then he's able to uh He's able to open up what she was trying to do, and it's basically a cache of weapons. You can see rocket launchers. You can see sword. Interesting, see. But it's interesting because she's. I mean, she's 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 a granny, and she she's she casts herself that way, you know. And uh, and he's all she she she's way more savvy than she lets on. Uh, don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. How did you even get all the way out here? 
Uber dear. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting just on that weapons cache, I didn't notice it the first time, but there's a little sign in there that says silver bullets. <laughs> it should have maybe given a, a little bit of a clue. Anyway, but she looks at it and she's like, yeah, great, nothing's gone missing. Obviously, he's no idea what his grandmother is into. He's lifting the weapons going, what the hell is this? <laughs> what are you even doing here? I just realised I need some old things. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is this? Put it down, we don't need it. What is it for? Well, I used to hunt vampires. Yes, I used to. Then I ran out of vampires. She's such an absolute badass of a character. Yeah, yeah, absolutely um, she is. So, then they're, they're in this guy's and suddenly the sky starts to change. Wait, the lighting has changed. Duncan, dear, listen to me. Do you know what the questing beast is? Grant, you wouldn't even let me watch Scooby-Doo. Why the hell would I know that? And then this... I love this like look at he's just sort of staring at her on the next page. Like, really disbelieving it in the background. You've got this uh, giant creature, which uh, has the head of a, a snake, and uh, the 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 rear part of a the front part of a leopard, the rear part of a lion, the tail of a dragon, and has a belly full of yapping dogs. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's all very straightforward stuff, as you can see. Um, I do like the little bit of humor to it that that uh, works really really well when he's being chased by it, and he says, "And I thought the date was the low point of the evening." Um, but yeah, I mean, her grandson is still pretty heroic. I mean, he does face up to this giant beast. Um, but the, the grandmother, she's just so nonchalant, throws him a spear. She's like, good boy, catch. <laughs> and he's able to take it on. Um, and then it actually runs away. And even then, the grandmother feels sorry for it. It's like, no, let it go. Don't chase it. It's a sad little story, the poor thing. Um, it's great stuff. It's really great yeah. stuff. Um, it's got a sort of an Indiana Jonesy vibe to it, but um, yeah, there's 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 definitely something going on there. Um, two two really fully formed characters. Yeah, really quickly. Um, she holds him at gunpoint then and convinces him to drive her to Glastonbury. Gran, you're not going to shoot. <laughs> you shot me. <laughs> I was trying to give you a close shave, but fingers aren't as steady as they used to be. Age comes to us all. Um, it turns out that the scabbard. Uh, she describes it belonging to an old warlord. Heals all wounds. Uh, stick big holes in you, and they just close right up. Yeah. Uh, didn't do him any good. His sister stole it and threw it in the lake, and he got it in, and then he gets stabbed by his son. So clearly, that warlord is King <laughs> Arthur. Yeah. Um. So I, I, I think we're are we subverting the tale of King Arthur here a wee bit? Yeah, oh, I'd say so. Yeah. Um, well, that's it. Everyone's always interested in the sword instead of this. Um. But yeah, just beautiful art beautiful colours as you say really formed characters within the space of one issue <laughs> if I had a gift like that I'd take better care of it people go on about how you spoil young people are nowadays but you've never lost the magical healing scabbard have you Duncan <laughs> Excalibur as in Excalibur 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 you're repeating yourself take a deep breath Yeah, great. you always were a blurter um, King Arthur's sword Excalibur no thank god it's not Arthur's sword it's one of the ladies of the lake sword Berlin stuff, yeah. And then it sort of ends with this sort of prophecy of um, them talking about King Arthur. Well, he could return because it's Britain's darkest hour, sure, or his return could cause it. So, yeah, I mean, they even pitch it in the back when they're advertising issue two is unraveling the legacy and legend of, you know, King Arthur. So, yeah. great stuff. Yeah. That's such yeah. a good book. Really one, of the strong, really one of the strongest first issues. Yeah, and um, we more or less read that yeah. <laughs> back again. So, it clearly bears another reading. Great pairing of creators as well. Yep. I have to say. 
Yep, very much so. The art's the art's beautiful. Um, from one beautiful art book to another, uh, next up we have the White Trees, uh, a black sand tale. Uh, this is by our good friend Chip Zdarsky. He of a title we will discuss much more in depth later. Also Daredevil and Invaders. Uh, the art on this one is Chris Anka. Uh, what's interesting about this one for me was that very rarely do you see a two-issue series. Um, yeah, and I, it's not massively oversized either. It's not like something like the Black Label stuff, which are double-sized yeah, issues. I have a couple of Vertigo ones. Like there's one called Uncle Sam. Mm-hmm. It's by Alex Ross, and can't remember who the writer is. But it's a it's a two-issue series. But it's they're like. Good, yeah. there are a good 60-80 pages of yeah. you know, issue I, I think it being two issues definitely aids it I might not be on it if it was more than two issues because it's oversized yeah. um, I don't know I mean I, I really enjoyed this first issue and I thought it didn't answer an awful lot of questions but it raised an awful lot of questions and actually oh, it definitely did I mean it even, like when anything starts up with you know showing you like a map of the surroundings and this, this, this you, is the first Black Sam too. Well, take it, isn't it? Is it? So I, I presume have so. They haven't announced. Few more. They haven't announced know. anything else, but I guess we'll wait and see. It actually reminded me of a title that uh, Roddy unfortunately jumped off of way too quickly, and I will continue giving him abuse for. Uh, Fair Lady. <laughs> Fair Lady. Okay. It reminded me of a version of that almost. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's good fantasy stuff. So it is. Um, it essentially deals with a, a man with a really dark past, a man who was basically known as one of the greatest warriors of all time, but he's retired from all that. But um, he's summoned to the king and told that his, uh, his children have been abducted. I think it's his daughter and the king's son, I believe. Um, so they want him to lead a team to go and try and find them. Um, so it's your usual odd couple pairing of people who are sent out to go and find the kids. Um, and they, again they talk a lot about stuff that happened in the past they're like you know shouting to him we can do this Krylos we're the warriors who took Trollocs gate we're, we're legends there's a lot of word building that's what I'm saying there's loads of word building but it's, it's two issues yeah, it's, it, was yeah. A weird, it was a weird one for me um, I loved, loved parts of it but then I was like it was, it was almost a struggle because there was yeah. so much of that stuff and I was like right yeah and as I say that main that main character um Kirloss, um, he at first he basically says, I'm not getting involved, you're handling it, go find the kids, whatever they're old enough. Comes across as a really, really cold character, but then just as they're getting ready to set out, he's out there on his horse, um, lots of strong, silent looks given. But even then, it's it's going into background and showing sort of him and his daughter when his daughter was younger and stuff like that. But, um, I, yeah, yeah, keep going, keep going. Yeah, I just, I find it really, really really cool and really interesting I just I, I'm i the opposite to you in this one Keith in that I kind of wish this was a 6 to 10 to 12 issue sort of thing yeah, being set up yeah fleshed out and more I, it's gorgeous yeah. looking it, is, it, go- it looks it, gorgeous is it Matt, uh, Matt Wilson on the colours again uh, yep yeah. I, I can't see how they're going to finish it in any way that is uh, concise useful or, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or, or satisfying um, but I suppose <clears> writing a two-issue story is no easy feat. No, so and I don't know. I mean, I, the characters I was a wee bit uh, with. I mean, your mom. There was nobody quite like uh, Duncan and Bridget. No, definitely. <laughs> I think that, that's a really good. That's a really good comparison, actually, because there you've got two 
really well fleshed out characters and these three were not really fleshed out Uh, all your main character wanted made me want to do was watch Unforgiven again Um, (laughs) and the other and uh, the other two were just kind of yeah I know what you mean yeah you know so it is it is a, a good story but the characters are interchangeable I can take or leave you know which is a bit weird for a Chip Zdarsky comic. It is, yeah. Well, what's interesting is that I was reading before it came out, Zdarsky had put up, like I follow him on Twitter, as I say, he's a really funny guy, um, but he put up this tweet saying, I can't believe they let us release this. <laughs> and for the first two thirds of this book, it was just, as I say, it was it was interesting, but standard fantasy fare. And then you get to a point where there's all these sort of erotic spirits in the forest that are trying to nymphs <laughs> of some kind yeah, yeah they're basically trying to slow down the three main characters and make them indulge in their sexual desires and you know there's what looks like the devil there with his cock hanging out there's you know there's nudity everywhere there's pierced nipples there's there's a lot of pansexuality there's grabbing <laughs> there's yeah. just all this stuff and I was like yep this is what we're talking about it um, yeah yeah do you know then, like it sounds a bit like ridiculous but I almost expected more of that stuff yeah well yeah I couldn't figure because it starts off quite like obviously very tame but that was the most interesting part of it because you're like oh right okay here like this is the this is the main story and now he is facing a very well potentially challenging situation Mm. yeah but it's yeah I mean you're even looking at the back it's like next issue it's like and it didn't come out on September 11th I can tell you that Mm. um because that was this week's releases but no I I could have done with more of this but as as Kate says maybe this is just part one of two of the first Black Sand Tale maybe there's more to come from it I don't know maybe. I don't know I just I couldn't tell you the names of any of the characters just off the Same. top of my head yep. you know tear loss because <laughs> well. I said it about four <laughs> times <laughs> um, but no I, I agree I mean reading that sort of back to back to um, Once in Future mm. I think it's quite at that level but look looks gorgeous the, yeah. not not sh- I, I, I think I think they just put that in the middle for the shock value. I don't know if there was any real story. Just remember that part in the yeah. middle. That's a guy right Spider Man Daredevil. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I know it was just there, I think it was it was it was gratuitous for the sake of it. Maybe. Mm, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps. Um but yeah, from that just uh just want to throw a quick bit of love out for a title called Mountainhead. Um, I recommended this one a few months ago in previews for the very simple reason that it's written by a Scottish author, John Lees. That's another who, number one, is it? It is yeah. indeed, yeah. Uh, this is, uh, John Lees writes a series called Sync, which again, I you know go on about quite a bit. Um, I have reordered the trades, so they're hopefully coming into the store soon. Um, but yeah, this was a brand new title. I looked at the cover of it and I sort of thought it might be something along the same lines as Sync, but this book caught me completely by surprise. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, in the best possible way. Uh, it kicks off in Oregon, uh, where this little kid is breaking into a house, and he ends up letting uh, his old man in the front door. And they're looking around the house, and the dad's all like, you know, he's really harsh to him, he's really angry, he's trying to toughen him up and all this kind of stuff, but you can see the kid sort of like, looking at all these family photos and being like I just want to have some friends and maybe learn how to play music and this and that you know but it sort of ends with a kid saying like oh yeah we'll make good money off this dad selling all this crap but um, 
they're on the run. They're always on the move. Um, the dad seems very, very unstable. Um, but again, he, he looks like he's raising the son in a way and with his own kind of love, shall we say. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's you know. trying to protect him in his own... Yeah, in his own sort of, of weird way. But So they end up uh, going to repeat that trick, break it into another house. Uh, but there's this decrepit old man stuffing nightmares just sitting in the corner being like you better run I've called the police so they end up getting um, cornered and the dad actually kills himself and uh, then the son's taken into custody what it actually turns out to be is the dad wasn't actually the dad at all the dad had abducted the kid when he was young and then tried to raise him as his own so the social worker tells him all this kind of stuff and then says, look, we're going to take you to meet your real parents. They live up in the mountains there's, up in um, British Columbia. Sorry to interrupt, but there's a really amazing page where he finds all this out. And the the way the panels are laid out, it's unbelievable. And then there's just a nice wee trick where the lettering uh, is a bit blurry. Mm-hmm. So as he's, as he's sort of yeah. finding all this out, the lettering is kind of blurry, like his thoughts are getting blurry. And then he pukes everywhere <laughs> upon finding out this news even just the panels there as you say they've broken his face in the two and yeah you know it's just this, everything's disjointed it's so is, creative yeah, so uh, creative yeah i mean a special shout out as well to the artist uh ryan, ryan lee, lee as well um but yeah he's taken to go and meet his real parents and they all seem really loving and you know oh we've never stopped looking for you and this and that but the little kid keeps seeing all these visions of his dad maybe coming up the mountain to help him and you know all this kind of stuff so it's um it just was totally different to what i was expecting you expected um, sync part two on a mountain or something a little like, bit yeah i think i think that's what i expected and i got in its own strange way it's heartwarming yeah but it's also very disconcerting at the same time it's heartwarming and heartbreaking because this, yeah, the, yeah i mean this this little kid he's essentially suffering from stockholm syndrome yeah he's been abducted yeah. His dad has raised him in his own crazy weird way, but he's kind of bought into the way he yearns for it. Yeah, he sort of he misses his dad. I mean, he's been given this comfortable, you know, status. He's been given his old room back. You know, they've filled it with toys. They've put his name there. They're like, look, anything you need, let us know. You know, the his actual parents are like, you know, you know, calling his his dad a monster and all this kind of stuff he's like look he's not a monster you know he was sick in the head but he tried to be good to me as best as he knew no abraham he stole you from your family and you know he said like he was my family the only family i can remember so i don't know it's just it was an interesting book to kick off uh this story um definitely something i'm sticking with especially given the preview for issue two looks to be his dad on fire (laughs) with an axe in his hand um, Looks like your man from Little Bird. What did you call him? <laughs> oh, yes. The, the Canuck or yeah, something. Yeah. Whatever. Or no, the X-Man. Was he called yeah, the X-Man? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Another, um, the other thing I'd say about it as well is there's not really another book around like it. No, uh, which definitely not. Sometimes for indie but stuff, you can struggle with because some of them they can blend together. IDW are just... There's so much good stuff there. Not... Well, just with their obviously 80s yeah they do a lot of licensed stuff the, they, they don't do an awful lot of original stuff they are now because um, we, we had um, Ghost Tree was fantastic yeah. you've been reading Canto and I know there's a oh, couple Canto. more uh, Road of Bones as well like they're they're branching they're, out a bit which is good it. yeah I'm, yeah, they're I'm getting excited some, to see more they're getting some good creators in so they are that maybe aren't at the same level that Image are attracting yeah but there's some original voices coming through there so 
Um, yeah, highly recommend grabbing it. I know it's went back to second print as well, so that bodes well for its cool. future. Um, but how about another number one? Uh, this time I'll let Keith take point on this one. Uh, one that we're both reading. Uh, Tommy Gun Wizards. Yeah, Tommy Gun Wizards. Um, written by Christian Ward, art by Sammy Cavella. Um, Familiar with either of those names? Christian yeah. Ward is usually more of an artist. Christian Ward is an artist, yeah. 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 He did um, Invisible Kingdom. Does a lot. Of, usually does a lot of covers and variant cover work. Right. A lot of trippy stuff as well. Yeah, Invisible Kingdom for uh, Dark Horse Burger Books. Burger Books. Ah. I'm sure. I'm sure he's done lots and lots more. And he but. did the colors in this and wrote the backup comic and illustrated it mm -hmm. and uh, did the cover. <laughs> yep. I, I'm pretty yeah. sure it's the first book he's written um, yeah okay there you go so set in uh, 1931 Chicago um, uh, against a backdrop of uh, post-war prohibition the, the history that we know but uh, but it's a little different um, the prohibition isn't against alcohol it's against magic um, it's against uh, it's against something called uh, lick Mm -hmm. uh, which appears to be a drug which uh, would you say enhances or gifts with magical ability yeah does it enhance natural magical ability much like alcohol yeah I suppose yeah, <laughs> there you are there you are yeah. so uh, so yeah that's, that sort of sets the scene uh, and this uh, this speakeasy um, which this ponder has sat down in is raided by uh, by Al Capone and the untouchables uh, so you know you're all under arrest under the Prohibition Act of 1930 on suspicion of dealing and partaking in magic uh, which is kind of kind of awesome so we end up in a bit of a magical battle uh, we meet the untouchables um, Charlie Drake Wilson um, and we're introduced to them Charlie Drake Wilson lady killer hotshot secretly gay <laughs> um, you know detective uh, Penny Jackson Smith Detective Donald Donnie Mayflower, uh, Detective Peter Big Guy Lombard, and uh, Elliot Goddamn Ness. <laughs> so yeah, so it's uh, you know that it's clearly just again we're we're subverting what we know about history and uh, mm -hmm. and um, putting magic in there. Uh, Al Capone is the uh, is the dealer in lick. Um, there's again there's there's like a really odd scene where uh, this guy who's been picked up is is now feeling the effects of the lick he's got the lick hangover he's he's on a prison um, he's in a prison cell and he he throws up and his vomit is like a golem it takes yeah, on yeah, it takes it's... on uh, a form and uh, threatens from inside the prison uh, Elliot Ness and the untouchables before messily exploding um, tell them they don't know anything something big's coming soon so uh, a character appears who very much reminds me of uh, Sean Connery's character in the Untouchables yeah, yeah very much so yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah first uh, first issue deserves another read um, very very good it's a there's a lot going on there's a lot to be encapsulated in one issue but um definitely needs a definitely needs another 
another read from the from the beginning of the entrance to the speakeasy yeah. right up to the uh, to the surprise ending. Uh, first of what four is it four or six? Four, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed but, it. I don't know if it was. I feel like everything's going to get compared to Once in Future, but I don't think it was quite as fully formed. Agreed. And I read. It's a shame because I feel like I read um, what was the aftershock book called Mary Shelley Monster Hunter. Oh yeah. I was like I've already read a couple of historical fiction rejiggered. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, uh, like right, okay. I had to struggle my way through it, but it was it was good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested to see what it brings. Um, apparently, according to Kelly Sue DeConnick in the cover, this world presents the fantastic in stride, giving us gangsters and eldritch horrors, uh, magic and speakeasies, all in one breath. The result is at once familiar and delightfully weird. So, um, I'm going to be picking it up yeah. for sure. They, I'm going to stick on it. What about you, Alan? Yeah, same yeah. again. Yeah, I managed to nab a rather nice Declan Shelby uh, variant for it as well, which was pretty nice. Did you? I did indeed. I did indeed. Yeah, so. Kept that quiet. Yeah, well, you know, the benefits of being yeah. a store and all that. Perks of retailing. You know? Um, the perks of retailing sometimes are just books coming along and just being absolutely wonderful. And that is Middle West. Gonna have to throw a little bit of love out for this again. We'll not talk too much about this because I know you're a trade reading it, aren't you? Yeah. Um, Will I cover my ears or leave the room? No, not at all. I'll, I'll speak about it very quickly. Um, obviously, Middle West to this point has dealt an awful lot with the father-son relationship with Abel and his father. Obviously, Abel's on the run. He's trying to figure out more about who he is, what he has inside of him, what controls it, where it comes from. And this issue essentially widens the family net. So in this issue, he's introduced to his grandfather. You know, It starts off with this wonderfully ominous first page. Abel's in the snow, really scared. You know, there's rumblings happening. You just see this great lettering of hello, grandson. And he's like, grandson, what are you talking about? Who's there? You're Dale's son, aren't you? So that means you're Abel. Yes, but how do you know all this? And then he, he forms in the snow. And you don't know if this is just a trick of the light. You don't know if this is part of an ability. You don't know much of anything at this point. But he's basically his grandfather. And then it goes into a little bit of the history of stuff with Abel and with his how his dad and his grand his newly introduced to grandfather do not get on. Uh, it doesn't fully go into why they don't get on, but um, yeah, it just goes. I, from cool. The 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 implication that uh, the implication that I read from it was in the same way as the the father was in some way abusive was we saw yeah he was he was certainly abusive or emotionally abusive towards Abel that that is the reason he the grandfather away, was yeah. emotionally abusive towards either the grandmother or the father mm -hmm. um and I think that's part of the thing of this story is about how these things pass on through yeah. families through behaviors and um there's another there's a there's a an awful lot of the stories about anger yeah, mm -hmm. you know, and how anger can be passed on and cruelty can be passed on through family lines. I it's, think. Well, what's interesting about it is, I mean, the grandfather seems at peace with the fact that he has these abilities and this, um, all this strength inside of him. You know, he proudly pulls open a shirt at one point to show Abel, and he's like, "I know exactly what we're capable of." His father never seemed proud of what he was capable of. Mm. Anytime you're introduced to his dad early on, it was only when he lost control and got angry. Mm -hmm. um, so it's interesting in that because you've got three different generations of the same family all dealing with it in completely different ways mm -hmm. um, 
But I just I adore this book. It's it goes very close to the top of my pile every yeah. time yeah. it comes out. I love the art, I love the style, I love the world building, the colours, the storytelling. I love recommending it to people so that they can discover it. Um this actually closes off the second arc, so the second um trade is on the way. Um, so it'll be smaller. The, no, the they're first, five issues each time. Oh, was the fr- yeah, my first, first trade not five? No, five or uh, six even? one to five, no. I believe. Ah, okay. I believe so. Yeah, it's going to be interesting when uh, when these three eventually converge, the grandfather and the father and Abel. Yeah. Um, and what happens there? What well, is six? I beg your pardon. Is it? Yeah, beg yeah. your pardon. One thing I really like though, and this is again me sounding old and out of touch, but. <laughs> One thing I really loved is they have fan art at the back, and this little nine-year-old has created the cover in Minecraft <laughs> with the, like the smoking chimney and the father and stuff. And that actually oh. makes me really happy to see like someone as young as that is obviously reading this, enjoying it enough that they're doing that. Um, I know nothing That's about Minecraft. Spectacular. Um, but yeah, Minecraft art inspired by Middle West, created by nine-year-old Axel Greenstein. Such a good book. It's got a young and um, Jorge Mal Corona. Yeah. So, yeah, we can't recommend that enough. Again, it's one that the first trade is always in store, so cannot recommend enough. Get on that. Um, from one of our favourite indie books to another of our favourite indie books. I'll let you take it away in this one, Kate, if you can remember what happened in it, though. <laughs> die number six. The reason uh, I say that is because Die number seven came out this week, and we're always conscious of the fact we don't want to talk about crossover of titles for fear of spoiling things too soon. Um, and Seven left such an impression on me that it actually meant I forgot quite a bit of what happened in Six. Uh, Day number six was the return after the break, the after arc, the end of the yeah. first arc, wasn't it? And I should say uh, that Die is five issues for the first trade, but yeah. yeah. And it uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, we know that the general gist of this in 1991, 16 inches disappeared into a fantasy role-playing game. Only five returned in 2018. They're all dragged back in. They can't go home until all six agree. They don't. The party splits, and that's one of the that's rules of, of, of uh, you know, one of the, the 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 bread and rules for gamers is never split the party. Don't split the party. But this party has split. Uh, they split uh, after what happened in in Glastown, after what Ash did. Um, so so yeah, I guess we're being reintroduced to the to the characters in issue six. Uh, they have uh, Saul. The uh, the game master, the grandmaster, sorry. Uh, they have him, uh, Ash, uh, who is the what's the? You would call him the, the de dictator. facto leader almost. Uh, yeah, the, the the de facto leader, uh, and the dictator and Matt, the grief knight. Uh, they have Saul captured. Saul being the grandmaster, the one who trapped them in this world in the first place and brought them back to this world. Uh, and they're 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 questioning him. He's now one of the fallen who are. Uh, what was the gist of the fallen? They were uh, player characters who had become non-player characters or something, wasn't that it? Um, yeah, something like that. Yeah, but I guess the story follows that interrogation, and uh, it follows Angela, who is Ash's sister, and the Neo, the sort of cyberpunk, uh, cyber wizard of the the group. Um, and they need her to make a they need her to make a, a sacrifice uh, in order to in order to get where they need to go. Um, so you find out a little bit about the never a little bit about the Neo. Um, 
a little bit about the uh, where the Neo comes from and, and how she gets her powers. Um, so there's a, there's a lot more world building going on here. Um, what she has to sacrifice, effectively, it comes down to either her cybernetic armor or cybernetic dog. Um, you know, um, it's 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 all really interesting stuff. Um, there's a lot of lines crossed. There's a lot of blurring of characters between the good and the bad and the, the sympathetic and the not so sympathetic. Um, Ash is a real interesting character. Don't you think the uh, the dictator being able to control people's actions and control people's emotions? Mm -hmm. um, kind of a bit of a prick. Yeah, against their will. Uh, yeah, there's Pretty not a manipulating. Yeah, there's not a lot of not a lot of black and white here. Um, but yeah, uh, great reintroduction. And uh, at the end, we're introduced to uh, to Ash's daughter. Mm -hmm. special throughout as ever yeah. for the art um, page by page just stunning stuff so it is um, just continues to be one of the best titles on there um, and there's so much going on in it you do feel that like you do need to reintroduce yourself to the world almost each time and obviously it was after yeah. a little bit of a break as well I feel like I'm scared to talk about it because I feel number 7 I feel the same I was like just looking at it reminds me I was like oh, that wasn't number 7 that was number 6 yeah uh -huh, so. yeah. yeah issue 7 all it was one of the best issues so far so it was so again I just don't want to get stuff confused but a uh, perfect jumping on point if, and like once in future it's probably got like about 10 printings per per issue Um, yeah I believe issue 2 and 3 both went back to at least second prints which is very unusual for a indie book of any kind yeah unless it's called The Walking Dead <laughs> <laughs> or Saga I suppose uh, I believe Saga number one went to like a fourth print as well um, now it's Keith's turn to try and talk about something positively but not spoil it because Roddy and I trade read it uh, okay <laughs> um, it's a hard skill but so he can pull it off so I think uh, Oblivion Song number 18 this is Oblivion Song is just a consistently great book uh, whenever you're talking about world building that, there's an awful lot of that going on uh, throughout this book which is now in its is it third arc second that's arc that's the end third of the arc. third arc uh, and you can tell you yeah. can tell Kirkman's consistent um, as gravity with this stuff you know it's six yeah. issues full arc um, we're more and more uh, learning about the faceless men and who the faceless men are, what the faceless men are, uh, and I think that's where the next arc is going to go. It's going to be very much, uh, very much involved with that. So this is a—I hadn't realised that this is the end of the third arc. Did you say? Yeah. Um, but it makes absolute sense now. Uh, now reading it, we're coming off the back of—I can't—I I, I don't want to spoil anything for you, Roddy. Um, it's okay. But uh, he, he just doesn't want to spoil yeah. it for you. I mean, forget about the fact I'm reading it in trades. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, that's so yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Just or there's the. <laughs> There's multitude some, of listeners there's some great uh, there's some great moments uh, in it uh, Kirkman continues to use the the trips between worlds quite cleverly in some places uh, that sort of the physics and the you know not knowing where they appear or where they're going to appear um, Ed and Nathan are both fantastic characters um, we're reintroduced to some characters from the second arc in this uh, in this episode we're, we're a little bit between 
uh, Earth and Oblivion. Uh, and I think the moral of the story, anyway, that I took from it is never cross a Keith. Uh, All right. We had a very weird situation the other night. We were in a bar and we had two Keiths in the same bar. Uh-huh. It was. But uh, what did you do? It was difficult because anytime I said Keith to them, turn around. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, really, really, really good, really good book. Yeah, I mean, Oblivion song. Yeah, again, I'm I'm a trade reader as well, so it's just uh, it's nice to have that Robert Kirkman shaped hole filled by Oblivion song. Yeah, and obviously. Walking Dead. It is out this week. It is indeed. It is one in your box. Sweet. Don't you worry. Good stuff. Um, yeah, so that was sort of the, the indie corner. As ever, we have to talk about die. As ever, we have to talk about Middle <laughs> West. But yeah, plenty of, uh, of good new titles there as well. Um, most of which we should be able to get for you in one form or another, as long as you're not too bothered about printings. Because as I say, once in future, number one print now is uh, quite tricky. But then, if you're not speculating to, well, that's it. I mean, if you're you just know. in it for the pure love of the story, it doesn't matter. I mean, but I do know obviously it is an industry that doesn't bite speculation. It doesn't bite. It's not yeah. even that it invites speculation per se. It's just that we are all a little OCD about our collections, whether it's cover A's or it's, well, some of us are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that was the wee indie section there. So we're gonna jump on to some DC stuff, um, which is very Superman heavy this month. Um, we will start off with the main title uh, which is something more, you're reading more I don't read Superman personally I have my favourite Superman title which I'll discuss in a minute yeah absolutely but I believe this is going to be Legion of Superheroes related yes the the whole this is obviously uh, Superman uh, by Brian Michael Bendis and Rod Reyes um, so it's really well written and it's great art uh, Ivan Reyes Ivan Reyes Sorry, not Rod Reyes. Ivan Reyes. My mistake. There was a Rod Reyes earlier on. There was. Um, but he's he's Mister Marvel. Is he? So Rod this, Reyes tends yeah. to be more Marvel based. Ivan Reyes tends to do Superman related and Justice League related stuff. So we're we're coming up to the conclusion of the Unity Saga, which has has been a great story. It's been a story since uh, since Bendis took over uh, Superman. So it's been the last fourteen issues. Uh, this is the conclusion. It's called the House of L. And part one of that conclusion. Um, so it flips between two time periods, uh, today and yesterday. Um, yesterday, the Superman family, the the L family, the House of L, were at were at, at battle uh, with. Um, I keep forgetting his name. Rugalzar. Rugalzar, yeah, who uh, who has been responsible? Who was has been retconned to be responsible for the death of Krypton, the destruction of Krypton. Um, you know, and they're doing so at the ruins of Krypton. Today we're surrounded by the uh, what do you call these these people the the, the, the United Federation of Planets <laughs> the you know the, the the leaders of the galaxy the representatives of the various uh, cultures in the galaxy there's various lanterns there's various uh, hawk people there's Thangarians and uh, all sorts of folk from the DC universe but. Uh, on the L side, we have uh, Kal El Superman, we have John Kent, we have um, Supergirl, we have Crypto the Superdog, and we also have um, the Zod family representing the last, the last of the Krypton. In the background is also uh, Jor El Superman's father, who we're still not quite trusting. Uh, we don't know exactly what's going on. Um, up against uh, Rugal Zar and. Uh, 
Zod at the time seemed to be on his side. It turned out Zod wasn't on his side at all. Zod was, you know, a, a traitorous bastard, but in this case, he was... For the greater good. For the greater good, yeah. Absolutely. Um, we're fighting in the ruins of Krypton, uh, and in doing so, uh, Zod shows his, shows his cards and, uh, you know, turns on Rogal Zar. Uh, as I say, we're fighting in the ruins of Krypton, so there's a lot of kryptonite floating about, and uh, in this we discover that uh, Rogal Zar is in fact Kryptonian. Uh, because he responds to the kryptonite in the in the, uh, the vicinity, so there's a lot of uh, ticking clock. So Kryptonians can be can be out in it, but not for very long, for seconds. You know what I mean? And uh, Jor El is, is is gifting Superman with a with a belt that'll allow him to to fly outside amongst the the kryptonite and not be affected by it for a minute or some such thing. Anyway, but uh, it all ends up in a big old slugfest. Um, John Kent, uh, Superboy, who he's now officially known as Superboy, uh, Supergirl and Crypto the Superdog, they get their licks in, General Zod gets his licks in, Superman gets his licks in, um, and then the uh, the Thangarian Black Guard. Thangarians are Hawkman's yeah. people, isn't that right? Um, they arrive in the nick of time, take everybody back to Thangar, and, uh, and uh, we have a bit of a chat. Uh, about what's you know what's going on um it's about um i guess prosecuting rugal czar under galactic law but we're also looking to prosecute uh jor-el for his crimes um and so forth and so on but what we're actually seeing this is the first time that this i guess intergalactic federation have been together uh and what we're seeing is the beginning of uh the beginning of the the legion um the the entire legion of superheroes or the new legion of superheroes sort of appear uh bidding greetings from the 31st century we come from the future to tell you that this day is the day that changed everything this is the day that put the whole galaxy in a path towards a real future it was the decision to bring the united planets together that saved us all august 18th will become a galaxy-wide holiday known as unity day uh we have each dedicated our lives to the ideals of superheroes in direct honour of this day, uh, this the greatest day in the age of heroes, and here we are with a gift. And, uh, you know, Superman's like, oh, a gift? You know, and they're like, nope, Superman, it's not for you. It's for your son, John Kent, who is responsible for this whole shebang. So, <laughs> and this is obviously going to lead directly into... Um, Legion of Superheroes, Legion of Millennium, superheroes. and... Yes, exactly. <laughs> so this is where this is all... It's all been leading up to, I guess, um, and where it's all coming from. So if you're not reading Superman, you're you're missing it. Yeah, and it's been a great story. Excellent. Well, the Superman I'm reading is actually uh, one of my favorite issues of the whole month, Marvel or DC. I was really, really impressed with this. Uh, so this is Superman up in the sky. Uh, again, I'm just going to be probably be called a Tom Keen fanboy. I do not care uh, when it's as good as this. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Superman up in the sky. You know, we've we've chatted about this and Batman Universe and Wonder Woman um, come back to me as well. Um, these are all the Walmart stories being collected into their own mini series. Uh, the general gist of this story is that one little girl has been kidnapped from Earth, and she's been taken out somewhere in the galaxy. And Superman sets out to find her. You know, the whole first issue was all about you know how obviously there's bigger problems in the world that Superman needs to. Um, take care of and needs to protect but at the same time if he leaves this little girl to die he's no better than anybody else so 
he sets off obviously that's what's called up in the sky so he sets off um, trying to find her the reason this one grabbed me straight away is I love the cover uh, Andy Kubert it's Superman with a pair of boxing gloves looking absolutely battered you know holes in the gloves and the suit this intergalactic is that audience is that a throwback you know, to an old cover it's a throwback in a way to the old um, Superman Muhammad Ali yeah, yeah. series mm-hmm. um, where a deep hard Superman fought Muhammad Ali um but one of the other things was before this issue came out Tom Keane put this tweet out saying that this is the first ever issue of anything where he has bought all the original art for it and I can see why because it's stunning so Superman ends up in this planet where he has to fight this guy called Mito the mightiest mercenary the scourge of galaxies in a boxing match and this guy is basically undefeatable um, you know Superman has no superpowers except super strength and whatever invulnerability you've got and he needs to beat this guy to get the next piece of information to help him try and you know, find this girl. So it's a very simple setup. There's all this amazing art of these two fighting and fighting and fighting. Um, you know, this guy keeps sort of, you know, shit talking him for better things, you know. Um, but they keep fighting and fighting and fighting. Superman's getting battered and damaged. Um, and there's all this great art you know you're Superman and this and that Superman gets knocked to the canvases a few times wouldn't um, be a Tom King story without a few without nine, a nine structures nine <laughs> panel page that's it um, so there's all this stuff and he's just beating Superman down and beating him down and beating him down you can just see the blood pouring out of him but because of obviously his healing factor he wipes off some of the blood and his face starts to reform but uh this guy Mito just keeps punching him and punching him and he's like you see that's how you beat any man push him to where he has to give you everything he's got then hit him one more time everyone has limits this is yours it really doesn't matter that you're super duper you're still beat and the count outs, the count uh, is still going and going of course Superman gets up but it actually reaches a point where this guy Mito just lies down and he's like uh, the referee's like if you want to throw in the towel he goes I'm not quitting I'm beat he's not going to go down and eventually I will I'm just skipping some pain it's basically just that Superman will never give up when there's someone in need uh-huh. and it's just a really interesting way of telling that story um, I just thought it was absolutely wonderful and you see like a bruised and broken and battered Superman but he's still standing um, yeah I really liked it too absolutely loved it it's just a simple little story but it's just brilliantly told uh, with the art and so forth um, then Superman ends up on another planet with all these sort of weird aliens and they make him do all these different things just to again learn more information to keep going and keep going um, it's just brilliant stuff um, and issue 3 was wonderful as well so really imaginative um, really showcases Superman as an inspirational figure and someone to rally behind um, yeah wonderful wonderful series and as I say that whole boxing match alone is worthwhile reading it just for it um brilliant stuff so yeah that's Superman Up in the Sky number two uh then we have a title that has a nice wee interesting story to it mm-hmm. uh Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen um I've started doing this thing every every week or two where I'll do this sort of hashtag Sunday reading and I happened to flag this up as one of the titles I was reading saying I described it as the best Superman title that not enough people are reading um, it seems to be only me and maybe one or two others in the store who are reading it. Um, there are a few people who are going to get trades of it to say, just not the singles. But 
I put up a few kind words about it and then lo and behold two weeks later a postcard arrives through the door and it's an original sketch by Steve Leiber who's the artist on this uh, just saying to everyone at Coffin Heroes thank you so much for the support it was just a really cool classy classy sort of touch and a real reminder of the comic industry that you know it is quite small and everyone mm. just supports each other you know um but yeah, that's that was a lovely. Wee, yeah, it was a lovely wee Jimmy Olsen sketch in yeah, a postcard. It was, wasn't it? Very cool. Yeah, and it it clearly worked because it inspired Keith to buy issue two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did. I read issue one. I'd enjoyed it, but it had a lot on. You know, I mean, I was yeah. I was reading a lot of stuff, and it sort of just dropped off the end a wee bit. Now, whenever the it and those lane first came out, I kind of went ah. Uh, I'm not really interested in Jimmy Olsen but Matt Fraction's writing it you know and uh, I was interested in Lois Lane and I was interested in that creative team so I stuck with that and, mm-hmm. and Jimmy Olsen sort of dropped off I had I had enjoyed it it had had that uh, slightly that thing that I'm not really a terrible fan of sometimes where you know they tell a whole bunch of stories in the one book mm-hmm. but it Compilation really, sort of really works with this. Yeah, just, does, just, yeah. just use yeah. the word you want to use. Not compilation. What do you call it? Is it an anthology tale? Maybe it's such an anthology, isn't it? Just yeah, not yeah. a fan of your work, Ronnie. So <laughs> I'm the only maker of anthologies. <laughs> um, that's kind of what I dig about the book because Jimmy Olsen. Let's be honest, he's probably a C-list level character. So I think you need to do something fun and creative and unique, and. I remember speaking to you about issue one where I just really loved the first story which yep. was two distant relatives one of Jimmy Olsen and one of Lex Luthor and they're arguing over whom's land and Lex Luthor's distant relative basically kicks him over a cliff and is like yep problem solved <laughs> and it was literally like a two page story but they open this issue with uh, Joachim Olsen coming back uh-huh. and basically the ravine that he was kicked into was filled with gold and uh, Olsen just turns up and goes Olsen's rich boy fetch the scales um, it's just really so, charming yeah do you know what it reminded me of actually um, the Simpsons episode 22 short films about Springfield oh, yeah. really reminded me of that just like kind of off kilter really yeah. but really charming at the same time and I, I was looking through it earlier and it's hard, hard to think of a comic that I've laughed out loud with yeah, quite, yeah, yeah quite some time i love the funniest some of the funniest part is the introductions yes yeah, yeah. you know the the wee corner box that introduces that part of the compilation being the dynastic scions of old metropolis shouldn't be a problem for the overachieving hyper wealthy olsen family but as <laughs> superman's non-biological brother but like really good friend brother <laughs> jimmy olsen is about to discover <laughs> it very much is a problem for jimmy olsen's big brother julian olsen in my big brother <laughs> again this is just a little story about how Jimmy Olsen won a Pulitzer by getting this great um, picture of Lex Luthor when he's being indicted and they go through the story and it basically is him tying over his shoe or falling over his shoelaces and mistakenly clicking the camera as he falls <laughs> it's just he's kind of the master of disaster isn't he yeah very much so I mean sure they took out the like the Olsen insurance at the that's right at the planet in the first <laughs> issue as well but he's the only one that actually is generating any sort of clicks in any yeah. sort of income for him but uh, yeah there's even these wee stories where it's Superman wants to help him out and he agrees to an interview yeah. an interview that but one was my favourite the Superman like, one my secret superpowers 
Uh, but yeah, same again. It's that intro, high atop a glorious metropolitan, metropolitan building. Jimmy Olsen's hard at work breaking his next big story, the scoop of the century from the Man of Steel. Nothing we can say can overhype the sense-shattering secrets you're about to learn. Buckle up, buttercups, because Jimmy Olsen's platonic plus one, Superman, is about to tell the entire world about my secret superpowers. And it's just Superman trying to do like magic and stuff, <laughs> and make balls disappear and. But he has to like run off a few times to like to save a cat. To save a cat, had a thing. Sorry, uh, it's Superman in a wig. Superman doing cards. It's just, it's just pure charming and pure fun. Yeah. Um, and eventually, Superman has to go do a big thing, and he's like, "Hey, why don't you come with me, Jimmy?" And then there's sort of like a, a big page of all Jimmy's escapades, yeah. and he's like, mm, "No, I think I'll leave it this time." <laughs> So, yeah, just all really good stuff. And then there's also this wee um, part at the back which interests me, which is a story he's been sent to check up on and he's been sent to Gotham. So he has... And I, I get the feeling he's run to Gotham. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that happened in the first first one. The yeah, first one he ends up to, in Gotham. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's run to Gotham to investigate his yeah. own murder. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's right. That's right. Um, but yeah, like all Superman fans, he's like, oh, Gotham. <laughs> yeah. So well compared to Metropolis, like yeah, well that's know. it. Metropolis is always referred to as like the city of tomorrow. Yeah, and, you know, bit more futuristic, bit more airy. Yeah, very bit much less so. Crime. But yeah, Jimmy, it's just it's a fun book amongst a sea of books that maybe take themselves quite seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what it actually reminds me of? And I, I don't know whether you guys will have ever read any of it, but Archie comics. Yeah, there's an element of that. Especially when yeah. Mark Wade re um relaunched Archie with Fiona Staples a couple of years ago. And they used to divide like a single issue into four or five chapters and it would always be like Chapter one, Archie tries to get a date with Veronica. <laughs> chapter two, Archie tries to recover from failing to get a date with Veronica, you know, stuff like that. So it really reminds me of that sort of style, um, as well. So but yeah, from a sort of quote smaller Superman title to one of the biggest ones. Um, I'm literally not gonna, one of the biggest ones literally so big that Keith refuses to buy it um, even though he seems to enjoy it I think but uh, yeah Superman Year 1 issue 2 um, I have to say I'm really enjoying this series I think the storytelling choices are interesting I think that Frank Miller has certainly reigned in his style quite a bit it's not as nihilistic or as dark as it could be especially this one this one is really it's almost a silly story um, but I read a, a review somewhere that I thought really perfectly encapsulated this where Superman year one's divided into three books book one very much focuses on the sort of ass shucks era of the 40s and 50s and you know Superman's a hero if he just saves like the smallest person and this kind of thing the 60s and 70s were very much the stupid Superman years where like aliens were coming from different planets and threats were coming from under the sea and he fell in love with a mermaid and all this kind of stuff and then everyone's surmising that book three is going to be the dark years which is sort of the the Frank Miller years the the 80s the 90s and so forth so uh, we pick up here Clark has joined um, the Navy Uh, he's done this so that he can travel the world he's done this so that he can find out what it takes to sort of protect your country but what's great about this is I mean he doesn't know the full extent of his powers and stuff like that but there's some great dialogue here and some great narration, you know, when they're running around and they're training and he's talking about like how humans are so fragile and they're blowing out a lung, fragile, but they work so hard, you know, 
everything's so hard for them and he's just effortlessly you know doing all this stuff um but the main crux of the story it has all this stuff um at the army bar or the naval barracks sorry um but a lot of it ends up with superman going underwater um where he finds mermaids mermaids he finds poseidon he basically finds the second love that's that's the other thing with these three books like superman seems to always fall for women with two l's so it was lana lang in the first one it's laura laramus in this one and uh then lois lane will probably be in the third book is it three is it three three books long three books long it is indeed so um but yeah the art is something else in this one um john ramita's kicking ass double page the, spreads the word building the colors um as i say a lot of this book the joy of this was i had no idea where it was going um you even had like this army or so this naval general who he even knows about the mermaids and the angels that are down there and all the rest and he actually encourages clark to go for it i was wondering if he was half mad though that was the thing yeah maybe but there's a really great scene in the middle where clark's being you know he's having to infiltrate this compound um sorry infiltrate this ship that's been taken over and all these uh sort of navy seals are using guns and stuff like that but clark refuses to use a gun and finds ways around it where you know there's there's a suicide bomber at one point who's trying to you know get a grenade off and clark's actually able to reach around and you know prevent the grenade from you know blowing up anyone you can start to see his morals building yeah, through it in his, in his hands yeah ears pop it would have been one hell of a blast um but this is what i like he's learning his sort of moral compass as he goes along um but he also realizes that there's not much more for him to learn in the navy, so he disappears on the water. Well, he gets kicked out. <laughs> this is my point. You just you have no idea where this book was going, but it's just quite silly in a way. But it's just a he, really charming and fun. And he gets kicked out for being a hero, doesn't he? he gets yeah. kicked out for yeah. And then uh, he ends up underwater where he wants to prove he's good enough for Laurie, but she's the is she the daughter of Poseidon? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's like you know this he looks at him as weak and keeps putting him through these series of challenges convinced he's not gonna um, pass them all which of course he does really easily Um, especially the page with the giant sized kraken is just wonderful Um, to the mightiest behold the kraken and shed a tear if you must for the fallen paltry pretender so they obviously think the krakens destroyed superman but yeah that's not gonna happen so yeah just really fun a little silly not at all was that what i was expecting from frank miller um and as already stated john romita jr is kicking absolute ass on this book Mm -hmm. um so yeah if you can get past the magazine sized format um which again was it really necessary as a for black little to do this stuff in this book i like it in batman dan i didn't think it was necessary but i like it in this book it makes it feel big and epic and cool yeah so yeah so yeah yeah, that's superman year one number book two and that's frank miller john romita jr so from one superman book to a superman team-up book yes uh which frankly surprised you quite a bit uh well how good it is it didn't it didn't um so batman superman number one uh the reason it didn't surprise me was because joshua williams was writing it uh who has been He's, he's written the entire run of Flash now up to including issue 76 77 mm-hmm. run now yeah. 77 um, 
and he's been doing a great job I love his I've, I've really the Flash series has really turned me on to his writing uh, and the, the way he's writing the way he does things so um, I should probably open it you know <laughs> just sitting looking at it um, what I should state at this point is that I offered Keith both covers so oh, it was a yes, it was a, yeah. a double cover A so to speak where you had the Batman who laughs down the middle so half on one side half on the other one side was Superman flying through the air all bright and colourful with a small Batman in the background the other one was set in Gotham with a large Batman with darkness in the background and Superman flying and of course just to annoy me Keith Pitzer. Well, sure, you can <laughs> just you can put yours together yeah. with his. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now we can team up. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I should um, say it's a long time Marvel artist on this, David Marquez. Yep, there we are. Yep, it's uh, gorgeous. It's a lovely looking book. Lovely looking book. He does both things very well. He does the Superman, the bright and bold. But he also there's a lot of Batman and Shadow, a lot of dark and gritty stuff too. He does yep. really, really well. He does, and it, it, yeah, he does a bit of both in his book. Yeah, you know. Um, so this, I guess, comes straight off the back of the Batman Who Laughs, yeah. uh, seven issue mini series by your buddy Scott Snyder. Um, you have a lot of and it's 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 pretty it's pretty awesome. So. Um, I guess it starts on an alternate Earth that we are led to believe is our Earth mm-hmm. because everything is as it as it should be, um, or is this is this the Earth of the the original Earth of the Batman who laughs? That's what I took from it. Yeah, yeah that it's so it's the original Earth of the Batman who laughs, and he the Batman who laughs quickly and brutally disposes of the Justice League and then Superman. Um, Batman, our Batman, has just come off the back of, I guess, defeating or, or, or tangling with the Batman Who Laughs in the Batman Who Laughs miniseries, uh, which Commissioner Gordon was heavily involved in. Uh, he was taken uh, captive by the Batman Who Laughs in that series. Um, and uh, Commissioner Gordon and Batman are talking on the roof of, I guess, police headquarters right by the bat signal, and they're talking about the Batman Who Laughs. They're talking about a kid who has been kidnapped. Uh, a kid whose name is I cannot remember. Um, Danny, mm-hmm. Danny, I think so. Yeah. And uh, all the while they're talking, Commissioner Gordon assumes that uh, Batman is talking to him. He's not. He's talking to <laughs> Superman, uh, who has been able to hear him from Metropolis. Uh, he had some business to take care of. He drops off Killer Croc, and uh, the I guess the the thought bubbles, the the, the subtext is um, we can hear Clark talking about Bruce and yeah. his thoughts on Bruce <laughs> and we can hear Bruce talking about Clark and his thoughts on Clark uh, and so forth and so on and they end up uh, I think that's one of the strengths of this book yeah yeah it's the way that uh, they interact and the way they talk you know Bruce thinking secretly you know show off you know holding Killer Croc there while floating in midair. <laughs> Superman of course is all manners and he's like I didn't mean to step in your toes oh, 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 yeah. you don't mind you know that sort <laughs> yeah. of thing so it's uh, I think that's definitely one of the strengths of this book is the the uh, relationship between the two and again like Double Date they're talking about how he's not Clark's nothing like Bruce and Bruce is nothing yeah. like Clark and you know da 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 so uh, you know they, they go off they team up We've got a, we've got a, we got a team up here, boys, um, to to find this kid who has who has disappeared. Uh, but it's all set against the backdrop of uh, of the Batman who laughs. And in order to find, you know, the, the 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 parents of the kid have said that 
the it was Superman that kidnapped Danny but it wasn't just the Superman it was a Superman who was laughing mm-hmm. you know so that automatically puts Batman on the Batman who laughs and uh, da, 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 da. here we go uh, there's a one ominous moment where after well there's one fantastic moment where Commissioner Gordon has his back to them and he's talking and uh, Superman responds to him and Commissioner Gordon's like oh I'm usually alone by now <laughs> <laughs> Superman goes that bad this Batman's move not mine you know, and we have one ominous moment where Commissioner Gordon switches off the, uh, the bat signal, the bat signal, and all we see is his glasses illuminated, and he just goes, <laughs> uh, because he was there was a lot of what happened in the Batman Who Laughs, where Commissioner Gordon, we didn't know exactly what was going on with him, or he spent a lot of time in the Batman Who Laughs. So yeah, I have theories that have already <laughs> run by Alan, and so far they're playing out. Um. Okay, so that takes us to the next set piece, which is the Batman Who Laughs Batcave. Uh, we're tracking down the Batman Who Laughs the whole way. Bruce has been questioning uh, Clark about, you know, if I went bad, what would you do to stop me? Do you have a plan in place to stop me if I went bad? And Clark realises that Bruce is trying to ascertain whether Clark has gone bad and has been infected by the Batman Who Laughs because... I guess part of the a big part of the Batman Who Laughs series was the fact that the Batman Who Laughs had a serum that was uh, a version of the serum that was in the Joker's heart yeah. that infected his words Bruce his words Bruce Wayne that made him into the Batman Who Laughs yeah and he has infected a number of people with it or was going to infect all of Gotham with it and, and Bruce is wondering whether Superman you know has kidnapped this kid and you know so anyway it's an interesting discourse. The Batman Who Laughs Batcave is kind of a it's like a dark turn, hellish version, a hellish version yeah. of, of Bruce's Batcave. Torture devices. And yep. There's some uh, some mannequins standing. Some of the Robin mannequins standing. The crows, the crow yeah. like Robins, you know, and this and the other. But it it's all part of Batman Who Laughs plan. He's brought them here. He's he set out a a familiar chess game. He's left his uh, his presses for his. Uh, serum and, and inth metal merged batarangs uh, and uh, he leaves a message for Batman and Superman He's, he wanted them here to tell them that effectively he uh, kind of infected he's used these these six infected batarangs to infect six heroes uh, change them into monsters like him um, and it could be anybody it could be any of Batman and Superman's friends any of the Justice League any of the Titans, any of the Teen Titans, it's everyone. You know what I mean? It could be anyone. Um, and he's saying that he's possibly already poisoned some of their allies. You know, uh, Batman is attacked by from behind by one of the uh, Batman who laughs Robins, who in fact wasn't a mannequin. He was, he was there. He was a Robin, and uh, they assume that this is Danny. He's been infected by one of the anti-metal batarangs. They're gonna trust us. We're gonna get you help. Uh, and that's the the sort of shock is, you know, Superman's kneeling down. He's going, we can, we trust us. We can we can take you home. We can get you help. And he's going, you don't understand. And he Superman's going, what don't we understand? I'm glad he took me. He freed me. Don't you recognize me? And uh, Superman suddenly realizes, oh no. And the the infected the the Robin the, the Danny he goes, my name's Billy, Billy Batson. You know <laughs> who we know as Shazam. Shazam. So the uh, 
Batman who laughs has infected Shazam who could be seen as almost as powerful as and could be seen mm-hmm. as the laughing Superman yep the laughing Superman and almost as powerful as Superman himself and yeah so uh, this uh, the Shazam who laughs has always wondered if he could kick Superman's ass and I think uh, issue two we're going to find out <laughs> great really enjoyed yeah, it it was very good really enjoyed it yep uh, I enjoyed that first issue more than I enjoyed the entire Batman Who Laughs 7 series 7 issues uh, just loves like hating on Snyder it wasn't a, a, it, just it, it, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't about Snyder it was about the story if you'd have set them down to me blind I would still have said the same thing I tell you when we get to that Court of Isles book club <laughs> and the 92 pages I've prepared for it um yeah very very good did you not enjoy it did you not no I really dug it as well um, I thought it was a perfect follow up to Batman Who Laughs continues the mystery although you think you've figured out who the six infected are through yes. different advertised means in DC books yeah I think they've uh, I think they have uh, they have revealed it deliberately yeah um, and I think we're already three for three are we yeah yeah, I believe so. Uh, based on the fact that there's a couple of one shots, the the infected Shazam, and Keen Scarab, I think was the other one. So it was going to be Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle. So he was another one of the chin people, and, uh, as they say, Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, that was uh, Batman Superman number one. Uh, another bat title, of course. We have to have our monthly check in with Tom Keen's run as it is nearing its conclusion. Um. Batman 77 was a big one. Um, it was a big one on the speculator market because something massive happens in it. Um, it was a big one story-wise in general and it was a great issue. Um, this part three of City of Bane um, kicks off with uh, Damien Wayne uh, on rooftops uh, with Gotham Girl just behind him saying, oh, hey. And there's just... Uh, basically at this point, all of Batman's allies have been told, if you come into Gotham, there will be serious consequences. This is now the city of Bane. I don't care who you are, there will be serious consequences. So Damien, of course, has always been an arrogant character, always been someone who thinks he can fix everything. He's too good to get caught. He's a little prick. (laughs) But he's a very well-trained little prick because, again, this is what I love about Tom King's long-form run. And this is something I noticed because I read it recently. But there's this little fight with Gotham Girl on top of the roof. And... uh, he's actually able, able to restrain her and it actually says like Damien says said it before super people are not so hard see Batman 34 um, draw a circle on the ground then a pointy star chat with some demon blah 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 my soul blah blah presto chango abracadabra <laughs> my soul you're done. blah blah, blah. <laughs> abracadabra you're done um, so yeah so you've got Damien taking down Gotham Girl obviously who's formed part of the new dynamic duo which is Thomas Wayne Flashpoint Batman and Gotham Girl we intersect that with scenes of Bruce still recovering in Paris where uh, Selina is looking after him. Uh, there's a really nice juxtaposition of art here as well because the Robin scenes are Mikel Yannon and the Batman, uh, the Bruce Selina scenes are Tony Daniel. Oh. Um, you don't massively notice no, it unless you're notice. looking for no, it. I wouldn't have noticed. But it's really well done. Um, you then see a little bit more of how the city of Bane is, is operating where you've got Detective Saz and Detective Scarecrow GCPD you may have heard of us we used to torture people for fun but now we do it mostly to enforce city ordinances um, the one thing to keep an eye on here I think is that they go to great lengths to show Scarecrow in this issue um, so it continues on with Robin he takes down Scarecrow takes down Saz um, 
again is able to do it quite easily um, again cuts back to this quite heartbreaking almost wordless scene with Bruce and Selena Bruce is now fully woken up and he just basically says really sullenly I lost so now we're back to um, City of Bane again and Damien's facing up to Thomas Wayne uh, Flashpoint Batman he keeps saying like you're not Batman you're just pathetic you're the one who let his wife become the Joker um, you're the one who let his whole universe collapse because of a button you're the one who gave up Gotham to Bane and he just goes yes well you must be Damien <laughs> <laughs> um, my grandson he's like again no you're not Batman we're not actually related you're fake you're ancient I'm Robin and I'm here to beat you into the damn ground that's why he's the best Rob Set up for set up shit. But yeah, this all leads to a fight between the two, and as good as Robin is, he's taken down by Batman, who knocks him out, and he is woken up in a large room, large window behind, and you can hear a little bit of dialogue just as Damien's waking up. So he said, "Ma, what he can hear is, Master, please, no." Please understand this is not my choice. You are my grandson, my blood. You made a mistake. Please, please listen. Just not here. I would prefer to give you another chance. Send you off with a good beating and a solid lesson. However, but this is not my city. This is not the city of Batman. No, Damien. Turn the page. This is the city of Bane. And Bane cracks Alfred's neck, killing him. Uh, which was the threat that he was holding over their which heads. Which was the threat he was holding over their heads. But now, as they say, um, we have a new hostage now which is going to be Damien so again therefore trying to say if anybody breaks in here there will be consequences this is why it was such a big issue for the speculator market because obviously the death of Alfred poor Alfred's been through the ringer in the last year and White Knight he died um, he's seemingly died in this um, but I personally think this is going to be a fear and just hallucination I think they've went to great lengths to show Scarecrow and also he was knocked out and then woke up so this could be anybody sort of thing but the issue ends on a really sort of positive note where sort of Bruce is rising up and ready to go back to, to Gotham and try and reclaim it. Um, I thought this was a great issue. I'm, I'm, it really does feel like yeah. it's winding down yeah. to a very big epic conclusion. Uh -huh. It does. Um, 78 was great as well. It focuses very much on Bruce and Selina. Um, and this is, I mean, the, the, the book that Tom King's moving towards is Batman and Catwoman, isn't Batman it? Batman Catwoman. So which... obviously it's moving. He's, he's he's brought them back together yeah. again. So he's, as you say, he's moving towards his conclusion. Yeah, racing towards his conclusion. Very much so. I mean, it, to be honest, it's one of those things where I know I've enjoyed the run and went on and on about it quite a bit, but I'm actually a little sad it's coming to an end because it is all tying together so well. But at the same time, I want to see it end really well. So it's yep. it's sort of a weird yep. one, but. Yeah, I'm still digging the Batman title. Uh, that was 77, 70, it's even better. But Do we know who's on Batman after... Nope, still not announced it. Likewise, um, we don't know who's on Thor after Jason Aaron? No, I mean, I, I would say with Jason Aaron, certainly even more so than... Obviously, Tom King's been doing this for three years. Uh, Jason Aaron's seven. I think they'll take a break with Thor. You know, when you've, yeah. done, when you've done a big story like King Thor, which is going to focus on him later in life... You can't just reboot it like that. Yeah, I think it'll take a break of a few months at least. I don't think they can um, take a break with that one. Yeah. Oh no, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, but yeah, just one more to finish off the sort of Batman corner. Just wanted to throw out was uh, Curse of the White Knight book two. Uh, continues to be stellar. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sean Murphy on writing and already art duties. Matt Hollingsworth as colorist. Um, 
tons of stuff happened in this issue. It went into a great history of the Wayne family and about how they were brought to Gotham and trained and then they basically stabbed people in the back just to get to where they were going. It was an age of the pirates. It was um, it was a, a scenario where the Waynes got their more money, their fortune, their fame through nefarious means, which is an interesting look mm-hmm. at the Wayne legacy because normally you think of them just as prim... Well, I- prim and proper and all the rest so it was the story about how, how the the Wayne ancestor was brought to Gotham then yeah yeah that's what I'm saying but then he basically sort of stabs you know Azrael's descendant in the back oh, see that, yes, that, that's yes, what yes, this yes, whole yes, story yes, is yes, all yes, about yes, I mean Azrael reclaiming Gotham yeah. because it was stolen away from him so to speak by um, stolen away from him by the Wayans so but yeah, tons of stuff happens in this issue. You've got Barbara outed as uh, Batgirl and actually quite a funny scene. I love the way Sean Murphy writes Joker. Um, so Commissioner Gordon is actually announcing his candidacy for uh, mayor. And uh, he's doing it on stage in what looks to be the Gotham McCall in the Times Square. And then Joker turns up and he starts doing an impression of, of Gordon. He even puts on a fake mustache and stuff. My name's Jim Gordon and I'm running for mayor. Not only am I an incompetent policeman who allowed Batman to ruin this city, I'm also a cheating husband and terrible father. I'm even too stupid to notice that my daughter is actually Batgirl. Ha ha ha, how was that? Two on the nose. Um, it's just great stuff, so it is. Um, you know, you see some great scenes with uh, Gordon uh, confronting Batman and Barbara, you know, blaming him, saying that how he's helped destroy Barbara's life. Um, you've got more and more kick-ass art as Azrael is really starting to rise up. You've also got the more sane of the two Harleys revealed to be pregnant, which looks to be a throw- holdover from the first arc. So that was quite an interesting development. Um, and then it all finishes off with this big plan where they're able to hack into the back computer and turn all of um, Bruce's toys, shall we say, against them. You know, Bat- Batmobile starts shooting at him, Batwings fall in the cave everything's on fire he manages to get out of there just about on time being massive epic action scene as Azrael's basically saying like this is God's will for you to die and for me to retake this city um, and then it just ends with you know Wayne Manor completely on fire and you would assume the Batcave as well yeah so yeah just really digging it um, again I will say the same thing if you liked White Knight you'll love this if you didn't like White Knight it's great one not change it's very good but I think it's awesome yeah yeah so that was Curse of the White Knights Um, just two very quick I will throw it out just very quickly Um, to finish off Deceased you had Deceased number four I think Deceased continues to be a fantastic read Mm -hmm. Um, again this was again they're quite quick reads to go through you know it's lots of stuff happens Um, but it's just interesting to see all these characters in this way it was a very Harley centric issue which means I'm surprised you enjoyed it Keith but um, seeing like the birds of prey and Catwoman running at her and her taking them all down and the Poison Ivy turning up that's uh, pretty sweet as well yeah just some great imagery here um, yeah there is it's oh man very... that's a really big zombie because okay. <laughs> Giganta shows up um, and this was a this was a brilliant action scene so wasn't it showed them all working together as a team um, they're on the roof of the Daily Planet at this point. Uh, the Batwing gets brought in. That's right. This is uh, this is great stuff because at this point, Damien knows that Bruce is dead. 
so he's like sort of going like what? what what's actually going on here and all the rest so you have this big action scene then it turns out that it's Alfred in the uh, in the Batwing and he basically brings a new Batsuit to Damien and says he said you were worthy of it that he was proud of you well I think this is the point actually where Cyborg sort of kind of goes you know with the, with the, up until now you've had this point of oh can we bring them back can yeah. we not bring them back and he <laughs> she wasn't alive yeah she wasn't alive so we make that point so we're now no holds barred here yeah which obviously we're going into the end game of this series just a couple issues more for it so but yeah I just loved that really emotional moment with Alfred and, and Damien um, you know Sid. he was proud of you and he should have told you that every day even just Alfred referring to him as son as and, well and all the other Bat family's dead so you may as well have this suit <laughs> you're the only one left <laughs> um, but yeah just massive massive things going on you know cities being destroyed Baltimore crumbled it's it's, um, it's the sort of thing where you know there's no lasting consequences there's no lasting consequences so it's, it's just it just falls out like it's yeah. if you if you enjoy this you enjoy Marvel Zombies if you enjoy Marvel Zombies you enjoy this yeah it's, it's, yeah that's a decent shout yeah and then just one final one, uh, which again I'll just mention quickly, is Martian Manhunter. Um, this is Steve Orlando and Riley Rossmo. Uh, this is continuing John Stewart's adventures on Earth. And uh, I'll not talk about it too much because Roddy does read it and he hasn't quite got to this one yet. But what this issue essentially was, was um, so the original John Jones detective who was the partner of uh, Detective Meade she basically tells the Martian Manhunter the story of why she loved him so much and why he was such a great partner and how he used to stand up for her and make things easier for her and all this kind of stuff and that's why she was so hostile towards Martian Manhunter when she first realised who he was. But yeah, just really quirky, interesting title. Again, another one that's very different to a majority of the DC output yeah. and I just love the art in it. Um, it's quirky, it's weird, it's it's detailed, it's interesting. Um yeah just long, a long live the 12 issue maxi series mm. yeah I mean I, I jumped on this because yep. it was um, I was jumping from one MM to another MM jumping from <laughs> Mr. Miracle to Martian Manhunter but yeah, I love the 12 issue format um, it serves well in Marvel titles as well and Vader's is going yep. to be a good example um, I think it's a great format 12 issues because it's long enough to get detail and depth but it's short enough where you're not like oh, where's this going you know yeah. that sort of thing yeah so yeah that's yeah, it it seems, it seems focused but there's still yeah. enough meat on the bones yeah. you know don't get me wrong I, I love the 85 issue Tom Keane stuff I love you know I, I like a lot of the absolute carnage stuff that looks like it's going to be I'm probably going to end up reading 15, 16, 20 issues but there's just something really nice about as you say focused uh, mini series like that so so yeah that's pretty much all for me on the DC front um, cool. take away on the the Marvels um so, just want to talk about a wee bit about history of the Marvel Universe. Um, two issues out so far. Uh, we touched upon the first issue, but didn't really go into it. Uh, and the second issue is now out. Mark Wade uh, writing, uh, Javier Rodriguez on art, and Alvaro Lopez on uh, on inks. Uh, covers are by uh, Steve McNiven and Mark Farmer, uh, and they're looking great. The books look great. This could be. It could be fairly. Um, Intimidating, I think, if you didn't know what you were getting. Uh, effectively, it is sort of like an illustrated history of the Marvel Universe. Uh, but what they're doing is, every so often, I guess, you have to go back and take stock. And probably 80 years is a good time to go yeah. back and take stock. 
Um, <laughs> so what they're doing is they've set this against the backdrop of the end of the universe, uh, the end of this universe and the, the beginning of a new universe. We have Galactus and uh, a now middle-aged Franklin Richards. Um, they're the last two the last two living things at the end of the universe, um, apart from a couple of living particles that Franklin can send somewhere across the universe. That's it. The energy has gone out of the universe. Um, you know, the Galactus and Franklin have known each other for billions of years. Uh, they'll miss each other. Um, Galactus is there because he will provide the energy that will that Franklin will use to create the next universe. And uh, it'll be Franklin's new home. Franklin's worried that he won't remember his life and that he started to forget his life. And he wants Galactus to remind him. So it's, this is effectively, they sit down and... Uh, and it goes before I go, help me remember. Galactus says, remember what? Everything. Very well, says Galactus, and uh, goes into the telling of the, the tale, which begins with the creation of the... the uh, well, and actually, Galactus tells the story. Galactus was the, was the last remaining uh, living thing from the last universe, mm -hmm. and, uh, and Galactus was propelled into... He's the only thing remaining from that universe that is now in our universe. And he was a man. Galactus used to be a man called uh, Galen Ta, uh, and that became Galactus in our universe. So uh, he was the sole human human survivor. Um, but it talks about the creation of the abstracts, eternity, master order, Lord Chaos, death, the living tribunal, the birth of the six stones, who have uh, become so familiar to everybody, even folks who aren't fans of the comic book books. Um, the creation of the Celestials, the Emkran Crystal, uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, you know, Galactus creating, recreating his own body from from a, a human Galen Ta to to Galactus over over billions of years. The growth of Yggdrasil, the Word Tree, creation of the Nova Core, uh, the Scrolls everything but what it does is it goes back and it pulls in stuff that has been created since so for example Jason Aaron's Avengers 1 million BC how they factor into the whole thing now and so that's what they're, they're going back and they're taking stock of things that have happened filling a few blanks filling a few, a few gaps, gaps yeah. and yeah absolutely the master of the world the creation of the Asgardians uh, Agamotto uh, he of the eye of Agamotto Fin Fan Fun, the, the birth of Thanos, the Vibranium Meteor crashing into uh, um, Wakanda, um, the Terrigen Mists that created the Inhumans, the lives of uh, Ramatut, uh, or the man who would become Kang, and then Immortus, the birth of N. Sabanur, who would become Apocalypse, the first mutant, all sorts of cool stuff right up to the Middle Ages, and the Merlin, and uh, Arthur, and Morgana Le Fay, the Darkhold, the original Black Knight um, goes right through right through everything. Um, Norrin Rad, the Silver Surfer, becoming the, the Herald of Galactus. The uh, the Ancient One gaining custodianship over the Eye of Agamotto. All sorts of stuff, um, and it ends uh, with the Wild West, the Young America, the Two Gun, the, the Two Gun Kid, the Rawhide Kid, Kid Cold, and the Ghost Rider. Um, the original western comics that Marvel published whenever it was still I guess timely mm -hmm. um, comics and then uh, north in Alberta Canada 
the wealthy John and Elizabeth Howlett parented a son. The frail boy, James Howlett, was unaware that his true father was their abusive groundskeeper, Thomas Logan. Despite his weak and timid childhood, James would grow to become a fierce and, fierce and strong beyond imagining. That's so, origin, isn't it? Yeah, so we finish with, uh, with Wolverine. The great thing about these is they're all annotated. So nearly every panel, whenever you get to the back of the book, it tells you where it came from. Oh, wow. You know, cool. Uh, so it's... Uh, and uh, what we talked about last time I guess is that you can actually go back to these and go oh geez, I'm, more, I'm really interested in the Celestials I can read such and such mm-hmm. you know so it's full references um, issue 2 picks up on the modern age same creative team uh, but we're more we're more towards the world wars and such like that we have the the first meeting of uh, of Destiny and Mystique we have uh, in London a mysterious band of human soldiers with strange high tech weapons come together to repel a Martian invasion that's the Martian invasion of uh, uh, War of the Worlds uh, ah. back in the 20s uh, one survivor Evan Stafford dedicated his life to defending the earth he would become the man on the wall which is a position that was eventually occupied by Nick Fury in our time uh, we have uh, the original Union Jack uh, come Lum coming ah. to earth Orson Randall who was the, the first uh, white iron fist uh, you know, and, and all of that sort of stuff. The, the creation of John Steele, who was the precursor to Captain America. Um, vampire Deacon Frost feasted on the pre- on a pregnant woman, infusing her child with enzymes that transformed Eric Brooks into the half human, half vampire Blade. Uh, some really, really. So that's accurate to the movie then. Yeah, because it was Deacon Frost, that, yeah. Well, the movie is accurate to the comic. That's what I meant. <laughs> That's what I meant. Yeah, we go we go through uh, you know the creation of Mister Sinister by Apocalypse and uh, the nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, nineteen forties Mystery Man and the Twelve, which was a great book um, at the time. The original Human Torch and the Submariner, uh, the creation of the Torch, the Invaders and the the. Um, all winners squad so we're getting right up to world war and Nick Fury and his Highland Commandos the apparent death of Bucky but of course we now know that Bucky wasn't dead so there's a nice picture of him lying there captured by Russians without his arm um, the various Captain Americas of the 50s the 40s and 50s that replaced Captain America after the war whenever Steve Rogers was still on ice and yet somehow Captain America was still appearing in comic books <laughs> <laughs> you know all of this great great stuff uh, Nick Fury remained vital thanks to the unique infinity formula that slowed his edging he eventually became a CIA agent fought for his country and was the next to become the man on the wall um, so yeah there's just some and it, it talks about you know them bringing Bucky out of, out of the ice and the various assassinations that he undertook as the Winter Soldier uh, the experiments that were done on, uh, on James Howlett uh, Weapon X experiments Team X all that sort of stuff uh, Nick Fury forming S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, it's interesting they talk about the brotherhood of the S.H.I.E.L.D. which casts back to Jonathan Hickman's origin of S.H.I.E.L.D. miniseries which if you're enjoying Powers of X and House of X mm-hmm. well worth a read it was funny they published four issues and then two years later they published the last three issues so <laughs> it makes Doomsday Clock look on time <laughs> but there's yeah. not many titles that can say that yeah so yeah <laughs> the, these have been and this ends with the the stage is set for the Edge of Heroes as we see uh, at State University in New York three students Richards, Grimm and Reed's arrogant counterpart Victor Von Doom would meet for the first time unaware of how their fate would soon entwine their lives and the stage was set for the Edge of Heroes and we see the 
the two storms and uh, Grimm and uh, Richards sneaking their way towards uh, the Marvel One rocket. So yeah, I really enjoy this. Fantastic mm-hmm. stuff. Loving how they're pulling everything together. Loving the annotations. Good job, Mark Wade. When you're reading that, how much new information do you get out of that? <laughs> um, out of pure interest. Maybe, maybe I'm finding there's a depth of stuff. I don't know. I've read a lot of Marvel encyclopedias and yeah, I've got like a whole lot of stuff. But this is just a really lovely chronology. I would say maybe thirty or forty percent information. I'm definitely gonna pick that up. Yeah, looks it's gorgeous. really good. It's really good. Uh, but yeah, plenty of new stuff in that for sure. Cool. Excellent. What else you got, Marvel wise? I see a. The usual suspects, a little bit of Dan Slott, a little bit of Mark Weir. Yeah, so I'll blast through a couple of these. Um, Fantastic Four issue 13 was great. It's the second of a two-part story, which was about Ben Grimm's um, honeymoon. So, and it involves the Immortal Hulk, um, a favourite of ours, by Al Ewing. So, great story. And the Hulk and the Thing are... Eternal, eternal foes, frenemies. Yeah, exactly. You know, and the Hulk's obviously the, the strongest one there is, but the thing comes a very close second. So, um, is that official canon that the Hulk's stronger? Yeah, yeah, okay. it is. yeah, it is for sure. I know this was um, always one of those on the lips of comic readers' questions: who would win in a fight between? Well, the the thing is that you know Ben might be more of an accomplished fighter, mm-hmm. a bruiser, but the Hulk, the, the angrier Hulk gets, yeah. the stronger Hulk gets. You know what I mean? So just make him mad but anyway uh, Ben uh, scheduled his island honeymoon with Alicia to take place during his annual transmutation transmutation that is whenever he turns back into human a human birth. man for a very short period of time before they could get settled in the last issue the Hulk crashed the vacation um, but it's more than just I mean the Hulk's the Hulk's a very different creature now than he has yeah. been but it's more than just that contest of strength the Hulk is under control of Alicia's uh, uncle stepfather sorry who is the puppet master who can create uh, puppets uh, statuettes from magic clay and can control them mm-hmm. um, and he's furious that Alicia coerced him into approving her nuptials with Ben uh, the brawl in the last issue resulted in a rock slide that trapped Alicia and some other bystanders the clock's kicking ticking down you know because Ben is involved in this fight with the Hulk but he's just about to turn into a human classic stuff you know what I mean but it's really it's really be- really brutal um, the Hulk and, and Ben are pounding on each other every so often we see the clock you know 15 minutes can yeah. Ben possibly beat the Hulk in 15 minutes um, it becomes clear that you know Ben understands that it's it's the puppet master but he's still getting the absolute crap beaten out of him and there's some really nasty scenes where we're seeing Ben's outer you know stony outer skin being cracked and mm-hmm. you know you never really see Ben take this take this sort of punishment you know there's bits falling off him uh, as I say his skin's his skin's shatter and you can see his the, the yeah. his pink uh, epidermis beneath um, and all the time the clock's kicking down 8 minutes 7 minutes 5 minutes and the Hulk just constantly has the has the upper hand um you know, he, he knocks the crap out of Ben. Uh, Alicia managed to get herself out, and uh, and she's like Ben, and he's like it's over. He's coming. I can feel it. There's no time. It's over. In half a minute, I'm Ben Grimm again, and then we're all dead. I let everybody down. I let you down. And she says, No. Did you hear a bell ring? I didn't. You know. So, uh, so Ben's up again, and he's trying to you know 
Hulk's charging him and there's seconds left before he turn, turns back into Ben Grimm and it's now all or nothing you know and <laughs> that's a fantastic scene fantastic double page scene of uh, of, <laughs> of the thing smashing Hulk uh, the watch that's showing the time flying off with 20 seconds left or sorry 2 minutes left and Ben's arm shattering you know and uh, him screaming you know and uh, and miraculously the uh, the statue that the puppet master is remotely holding shatters the Hulk goes down in the sand Ben is in bits and of course two seconds later he turns human and he drops in the unconsciousness his human body unable to take the punishment that has been has been dealt out to him <laughs> and uh, and he wakes up back to his rocky self healing in bed with his family the Fantastic Four around him he totally missed the whole time that he was human <laughs> you know that one time a year uh, <laughs> you know but uh, but uh, he's absolutely he's kind of over the moon because for the first time ever he he proved that he took down the Hulk you know what I mean with the, the greatest the, what does he say with the best Sunday punch I ever threw in my life <laughs> I mean, you're only as good as your last fight uh, so. yeah 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 whatever the cast that the special cast that Reed has made comes off he, he wants he wants his arm bronzed <laughs> you know what I mean and it ends on a really dark note the epilogue the raft maximum security prison where the puppet master is kept uh, we can see there's a big hole in the side of it intruder alert intruder alert you know guards down the walls cracked and the Hulk that we've come to know Al Ewing's immortal oh. Hulk is there intelligent cruelly horribly intelligent uh, he says you know it was murder getting here my own murder multiple times per puny banner he kept drowning in the middle of the ocean but me I don't die so easy which is one of the many reasons you don't want me mad at you he's got uh, the puppet master and he just he crushes his hands you know and uh, so he's not able to make any more puppets but he doesn't stop there and as we pan out puppet master going dear god no please and all you hear from the raft at a distance is crunch crunch <laughs> kind of horrible but a real nice a real nice moment at the end of that because I mean it's very easy with with the immortal Hulk that Ewing has created I think you know what what they're doing in that series bringing back the horror to Hulk you know a lot of a lot of horror can be lost whenever you see something too often yeah you know what mm -hmm. I mean and there was a lot of Hulk in these last two issues but it, it was it wasn't the Immortal Hulk it was the Puppet Master's Hulk yeah so now in these last two pages we're seeing the Immortal Hulk the immortal Hulk in that chilling horrible character that he is so yep great one uh, Dan Slott is doing really well on Fantastic Four well I mean you brought up there Immortal Hulk you were Wanted to throw a bit of love towards number yeah, twenty-two. Yeah, you know what? I'm not going to. It was a really great. It was a really great setup issue. Uh, it was a really great setup issue. Uh, a great issue in itself. Uh, we've got Alpha Flight in there. We've got Absorber Man and Titania. Uh, we've got uh, General Fortians. Um, they're not Hulkbusters. They're kind of the Shadow Base group that have been that have taken Rick Jones hostage. That implanted his body in the body of uh, the Abomination recruited body of the abomination um, the Hulk family I guess along with Betty Ross who's now this red harpy thing they're all the, this gamma family um, Hulk's multiple personality disorder um, but they rescued Rick Jones they pulled him out of this armour and General Fortean ended up 
I guess he mounted this rescue mission to Alpha Flight Base, um, which orbits around Earth. He recaptured the Abomination's body and he melded his own body with it. So General Fortean is now the Abomination. Um, he's the guy who's been leading the fight against Hulk. Issue 22 was great, but I'm going to save it for issue 23 because I read it last week and it's even better. So <laughs> so we'll talk about it next month. Cool. <laughs> There's a lot of this. These latest issues are so good we can't actually talk about <laughs> the previous ones. Um... Well, one thing definitely worth chatting about is uh, Daredevil number nine, um, continuing on the wonderful Sadarsky run. Um, this is the issue following up, I think we talked about it last month, which was uh, Matt Murdock at dinner with Mindy and all of her mob family. The Libris, uh, the Libris family, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, and this is sort of kind of the fallout from it, but this one starts off really interestingly, just obviously we're chatting Fantastic Four there. But this issue actually kicks off with Matt playing chess with uh, Reed Richards in yeah. the middle of Central Park. And it kind of brings Matt's... Um, I mean, obviously, a big part of Daredevil, a big part of Mur- Mur- Murdoch, is his, has been raised in the Catholic religion. It's Catholic guilt. Yeah, and his guilt and, and everything that comes with that. And it's interesting because he's sitting here having a game of chess with Reed Richards, who's one of the logical minds of the, the Marvel Universe. and they're talking about the existence of God and, and whether or not Matt can be forgiven for what he's done as Daredevil because a lot of this run he hasn't been Daredevil he hasn't been yeah. Daredevil at all hasn't he's been like, since issue 5 yeah. at this point and uh, what Reed effectively tells him was you know I've, I've seen so many strange things in the universe he goes I, I can't tell you if there's a God or not <laughs> you know what I mean I, I've met gods <laughs> you know what I mean so uh, I thought that was a really interesting a really interesting start to that to that issue, you know. Yeah, I mean a great um sort of finale to that moment is where, you know, Reed says, you know, I've experienced so many things it shows me that there's life beyond this one that anything is truly possible. Matt goes, So, you're agnostic. I suppose so, yes. I prefer scientists though. <laughs> so uh yeah, there really is. It's it's a lot of this issue feels like Matt just trying to get justification to do the things that he wants almost. I don't know if it's that or he's He's just trying to find himself again. He needs someone to make him feel better about who he is. Um, and he's obviously speaking to people he respects and people he trusts. But yeah, I thought that was a really interesting way to start it. I mean, I mean, obviously you know the whole Marvel Universe is linked, but I, I can't remember many times where Daredevil and Reed Richards are talking. No. no. Um, so I thought it was an interesting pairing. Um, so it was... Well, that there I, that actually explains there. Uh, one of... Uh, Matt's Tamara one of Matt's um, colleagues asks him yeah uh, I heard sorry I should say I overheard you calling to confirm your lunch with Mr. Fantastic that's incredibly cool how on earth do you know him believe it or not the Fantastic Four were some of my first clients yeah figured uh, I should meet up and let him know I'm no longer you know practicing law and it says see Daredevil volume one number two let me just pick <laughs> let me just pick my here comes daredevil number two out of my collection uh but yeah that's gonna be a bit of dialogue there where she says quite the life mr murdoch adventure thrills and he says once upon a time um but jay ends up meeting up with mindy and sort of chatting a lot about her and the crime family and all the rest her wishing for a better life um just needing someone to talk to and someone to listen to her she, she tries to almost justify you know how she ended up where she ended up why um, she invited him to dinner with the crime family knowing that she he was a prosecutor yeah uh-huh. um, and then again that leads to more sort of 
Catholic killed for poor Matt. He really can catch a break in this series, like, but he ends up going for guidance to um to the local church. <clears throat> um but it's interesting here, they're focusing quite a lot on this character, Cole North as well. Who, who initially was brought in to bring Daredevil down. He's a cop from Chicago, a transplant to New York, isn't that right? Yeah, I mean, I was chatting to someone today about this. There are a few parallels with this and Batman Year One, where Gordon comes from Chicago. He's a cop that nobody likes. Yeah, yeah. He's too honest compared to the rest of them. To be fair, um, that's a wee bit of stereotyping. Oh, very much so. Very much so. But it's just interest just made me yeah. think of that, but... I kind of like that little part there where he's gazing at all those lines and then he they all sort of meld together and become Spiderweb. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he's disappointed Daredevil isn't around anymore because he yeah. really wanted to catch him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that uh, stuff's yeah, pretty and then cool. The stuff with Cole North, clearly he's an honest cop and the others are the, the, the cops who are on the take and his, yeah. his department are setting them up. Yeah. Um, but it's at this point as well that you know Matt's starting to think about maybe putting the mask back on and there's some lovely throwbacks here certainly like to one of Matt's original costumes um, with just the scarf wrapped around the the top part of his head um, a kid has disappeared goes by the name his name's Leonard but he goes by the name Lilo and uh, there's a great great scene where where Matt you know he's his knees down and the pouring rain in the dark and the senses he's focusing his senses and you can hear everything you hear the conversations going on in the neighbourhood and through those conversations in the neighbourhood he pinpoints someone giving out leaflets saying his name's Lilo but he goes by Lilo um, and you know he, he hears all these wee conversations uh, you know inconsequential stuff you know about schools about people watching TV about you know da 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 and then all he hears fuck's sake Lilo and his eyes just boom snap open and then he pins point pinpoints where Lilo is and one minute he's one minute he's not there and the next minute he's standing in the window with as you say the, the white uh, bandana around his around his face yeah he takes all these guys down and then basically appeals to Leo saying like your family misses you you should go home um which then leads Matt after all of that. This kind of reminded me a tiny little bit of, and I don't think it was the intention, but it reminded me a tiny little bit of Watchmen here as well. The scene in Watchmen where Night Owl and Silk Spectre go out and beat a bunch of bad guys up. It gets their adrenaline going and then they just feel the need to sleep together. Mm-hmm. After Matt did all of that and, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. straight after that, he almost needs the comfort of a woman. Yeah. And even though he knows it's wrong, A, that she's married, B, part of being part of that crime family and all the rest I mean Matt has always been someone with a very strong moral code and at first I thought this seemed a little bit out of character for him but at the same time in this run it makes sense um, so he basically goes to see Mindy and again he's looking for a bit of a bit of comfort and obviously she's a little bit vulnerable at the moment and yeah, there you go there you go uh, but yeah it reminded me of Watchmen a little bit where yeah, it was almost like the adrenaline had got going from mm-hmm. taking down the bad guys. So you know, we should boom. <laughs> you know. It was a fairly racy ending. Yeah. yeah, slightly unexpected, I have to say. Um, but yeah, Daredevil just goes from strength to strength, and uh, issue ten was great as well. And then 11's this week, but I haven't had a chance to 
tuck into that just yet where should we go next should we throw a bit of love should we, should we get Roddy talking about a Marvel title I think so sure yeah let's go should we it. get the writer talking about the issue of the month that has the least amount of writing in it <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point or does it <laughs> well it's got a lot of writing it's just got no text exactly so yeah uh, we will chat only briefly because if you don't know Conan the Barbarian Exodus is uh, sort of like a, a spin-off would you say not not necessarily a spin-off um, but just like a side just like a little one shot yeah it's nearly like, it's nearly kind of an origin story this is Conan young Conan coming out of Samaria for the first time isn't yeah. it yeah yeah uh, should say written illustrated uh, by Isad Ribic he of the Conan the Barbarian covers he of uh, he of uh, Thor and King Thor yeah fucking well. everything what he of Silver Surfer Requiem ah. one of the single greatest comics of all time cool so yeah he's uh, he's done a, just a wee bit um, yeah so if you don't know Samaria frozen land in the north home of the toughest of climates and even tougher people after 15 winters the man known as Conan sets forth from his homeland to see the world for the first time growing up in Samaria honed his survival skills but even Conan cannot be prepared for what awaits him across the land of the Hyborian age the story of his journey would stand as a reminder to Conan even decades later about the fierceness of nature and the cruelty of people but the tale of his excursion has never been told this is that story um, pretty much the entire issue is silent there is yep. sort of a Sumerian language would you say or uh, there's it, certainly a lot I don't know if it's Sumerian if yeah. it's either Sumeria but yeah but um, it's a, a language of the Hyborian age anyway yeah so we start off um Conan is sort of hibernating, should, shall we say? I well, certainly spent the night anyway. Spending the night under this huge mound of snow, and I would just—it's gorgeous. It's, it's like the Revenant. Absolutely, it's like gorgeous. the Revenant, yeah, the DiCaprio really movie, isn't it? It looks like um, just a painting in every panel, just like an old eighteen hundreds painting. Uh-huh. Um, it's absolutely beautiful, and. The, the landscapes the trees the snow it's fantastic it's strange, yeah, yeah it's strange not to talk about a story but um, I would just recommend picking it up because it's not often you get a comic that's just your eyes is, are drawn along you're not seeing any text you're yeah. just following a story through I mean next pictures. to next to next to Alex Ross he's the he's the Possibly more, my, possibly my favorite artist of Marvel, anyway. Um, but yeah, basically Conan without dialogue. It's a story of Conan struggling through. He goes through the mountains into the sort of river place. Um, He's traced by a pack of wolves that he, uh, he tangles with, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, eventually, you know, he he takes down two of them, and uh, one of them pursues him until he loses it. Yeah, and then. I think his other mountain lion or lynx or something. Leopard eye, something that. Something turns up, and then yeah, it's just gorgeous. He basically goes from the harsh, uh, Sumerian land through, through the plains, the of, plains yeah. of Namibia, isn't that it? Oh yeah, there's somewhere very, like very that. Good, yeah, very yeah, good. Yeah. Good knowledge. Um, yeah, it's hard to talk about without all um, of which he will eventually be the king of. Yeah. Um. 
but yeah you just have to read it there's a lot of um a lot of uh, nature inspired a lot of uh, animal attacks i don't know how you feel about that everyone uh he eventually encounters this uh sort of barbarian warlord type figure uh who's riding a horse and yeah there is sort of a bit of chat there few people talking between themselves conan doesn't understand them we don't understand them yeah yep it's glorious like you probably don't get a lot of that in comics where you're just as flummoxed as the the main character (laughs) (laughs) the story makes sense like it really does yeah uh... it's gorgeous really gorgeous um yeah can't recommend it enough it was nice we uh sidestep from the main the main title for for a week or two yeah Um, it definitely was yeah highly recommend picking it up uh nothing else like it on the shelves i'd say nope Nope, beautiful book, no dialogue. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's one of those things you could look through it in about two minutes. But it's worth spending time. But you could spend ten minutes yeah. looking at it because yeah. it's so gorgeous. Yeah, it's worth spending time. In fact, I think I'm gonna spend a little more time on it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, that's me done for Marvel. <laughs> See you later. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'll throw out a quick I'll bit of love. For Silver Surfer Black, oh, yeah. simply because yeah. you were talking there about the strength, obviously, of Conan Exodus being its art. Now, the main draw for a lot of people with Silver Surfer Black is probably that it's part of the Donny Cates corner of the Marvel Universe. And uh, I mean, how the hell does he have time? Yeah, I mean, this, this he's one busy guy between well, Venom, Absolute Carnage. There's a connection to Absolute Carnage here, isn't there? There is indeed. So, Silver Surfer Black, number one, introduced Null. Um, mm. issue 2 was him trying to escape from Null the symbiote god issue 3 he ends up inside of Ego um, the living so planet has, the living the elders planet. of the universe indeed um, he has a lot of flashbacks to um, you know to his original planet um, to his first love <laughs> one, of the, one of the elders of the universe as played by Kurt Russell in Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> 1 and 2 I mean perfect casting um, but yeah, I mean, Silver Surfer Black, the reason I love it so much is as as good as the story is and as interesting as the story has been, for me, it's the art. Um, it is like, so oh trippy and original and nightmarish and kaleidoscopic. And I didn't think, when you think of Silver Surfer, you don't think stuff like this. Yeah. Well, my opinion anyway, maybe... I just think of the vastness of space. I think a lot of, like, yeah, you think a lot of dark, you know, yeah, starry yeah, skies yeah. and you know a planet in the background that he goes past. But but everything about this book is imaginative. Even just the way the lettering is done, the way that the sound effects are done. Um, but essentially, yeah, in this issue, ego the planet is dying, and the surfer has to go to the center of ego to essentially save him. Um, Oh, that's deep, Alan. Why is that? Yeah, you see it by going to the center of ego. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Buddhist. <laughs> totally unintentional. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Um, but yeah, what it essentially is, is um, the reason that ego is struggling so much, what's actually in the center of him, is this uh, incubator. And it's actually going to birth Galactus. That is exactly. I was about to say that as the incubator that bursts Galactus. Yeah. I recognize it. Um, I just absolutely love this title. There's going to be a um, 
a larger format edition of it than a treasury edition and when it comes out even though i'm collecting all singles of this and in some cases variants as well i will be uh collecting that treasury edition because it is just gorgeous the way you say you could spend time looking at conan i would happily just uh do the same thing here uh keith pulling out history of marvel universe to show off the cosmic incubator <laughs> Has Tradmer done a uh, a sterling job? He of? has done a great job. <laughs> and tell me, what is uh, what what's the significance of the blackness, both in the title and so on the blackness Surfer's is arm? essentially the surfer is slowly but surely all of the stuff that he's doing, all this um, effort he's exerting, all the rest, it's killing him. Wait. So the black is taking over him. He's he's basically sacrificing different bits and pieces of his own power to save people or to save things. And that's actually slowly but surely chipping away at his existence, at that, his body. And that has something to do with Noel, then, yeah. does it? It does indeed. So it's um, it's just been a great title, I have to say. And again, there's nothing like it in the shelves. Um, Tradmer, what else has he done? Don't Is there anything that comes to mind for you? No. Um, but Jay, even no, just no. here, you see like the different layers of the planet and the surfer like cutting through that. And oh, it's just excellent excellent stuff um, possibly Marvel's most original title on the shelf um, I'm a little bit sad it's only going to be five issues but rather five issues of quality than you know 15 issues of mediocrity <laughs> I would say oh Luther Strode that's what he did oh, okay that was him and Justin Jordan yeah the strange talent of Luther Strode yeah. his strange and talent then, was just that he was really 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 strong violent <laughs> And he enjoyed being really there. It was the yeah. strange talent and the legend were the two of them, I believe. But uh, no, this is quite a different title to yeah. that, to <laughs> say the least. Uh, so yeah, Silver Surfer Black again can't recommend enough. Um, quite a popular pull as well, I would say. Oh, it's I would say so. Probably yeah. in our top five for Marvel, maybe. Really? Uh, yeah. One so, that Keith is not on. I know. Strangely, it is. It's a strange one. A Marvel title exists that. that Keith is on. Alan won't, Alan won't let me put any more books on my pull list. <laughs> You've had enough. Says it's bad for your health, Keith. <laughs> so yeah, Silver Surfer Black Three. From that to um, couple that I'm going to blast through very quick. Um, Punisher's coming to the end of its run, isn't it? Moment of silence. Yeah, from one of Marvel's best titles. Yeah, Matthew Rosenberg is fantastic writer. Uh, yeah, I think the art sequel is important in this because it's been the same artist yep. the whole way through but the dialogue absolutely kills it in this so what we have is this is a continuing story it's fallout from Secret Empire Punisher set out to destroy Hydra and their leader Baron Zemo um, after uh, I guess Punisher took the Secret Empire's Hydra's side during the Secret Empire debacle he was tricked he felt tricked uh, he thought he was following Captain America he wasn't he was following Hydra Steve um, so Zemo had imprisoned Frank in uh, the Hydra nation of Bagelia Frank escaped uh, Zemo fled to New York seeping the help of their mayor Wilson Fisk uh, Frank followed uh, Zemo bought an army, brought an army of like 400 Hydra agents disguised as UN soldiers into New York City to track down and kill the Punisher the people are sort <coughs> of people of New York have been convinced these are UN soldiers it's absolutely fine the Punisher's a bad guy you know he kills people 
Zim was also reassembled his own super part team the Thunderbolts a new Thunderbolts team the Thunderbolts are one of my favourite teams of, of all time in Marvel uh, so it was nice to see some of the old members of the Thunderbolts back here a hostile army now occupies New York to hunt one man Frank Castle so this is part three of War in the Streets um, while the Hydra Hydra and the Thunderbolts are assembling on one side uh, Frank is unwillingly assembling his own team uh, on the other side oh yes uh, guided what by guided by Black Widow um, you know she comes into the diner where he's eating pancakes she goes pancakes for dinner what are you a child he goes seat's taken you can't fool me you don't have any other friends Frank we're friends now Natasha I was trying to be nice <laughs> you know well, that's nicely juxtaposed by the dialogue between Fisk and Zemo mm-hmm. um, they're having a phone call and obviously Fisk is saying to him don't you dare mess up my city we would never And uh, Fisk, first of all I should notice that uh, Zemo has what Fisk saved on his mobile as fat man um, <clears throat> Fisk is like what is the point of your infantile thunderbolts if you can't even tell me where Castle is get out there right now and find him or I'll have your whole team killed then you see him saying fucking moron slamming the phone down and Zemo's like sounds great you got it Wilson as if the conversation still continue um, that was Fisk he said he wants to make sure everything is uh, possible is done to find Castle wreck my city if you have to he's saying um yeah, so Frank goes to war against uh, against Hydra a bit. Um, of course, Fisk still trying to do it on his own. Yeah, uh, Fisk is sort of trying to encourage Zemo, the UN soldier, you know, um, mask that's going on here. The Thunderbolts are still thought to be heroes, but of course, Fisk's trying to go straight as the mayor, or trying to look straight as the mayor, so he can't be involved in any of this. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's not looking good for. Uh, for Frank, uh, for a while, uh, he goes down. He's uh, sort of taken apart by the Thunderbolts, and he is uh, evacuated from the situation by uh, the team that has assembled around him. Um, that Black Widow has assembled around, consisting of uh, early nineties hero Night Thrasher, um, someone who uh, Kalen is created by Kalen. And uh, it's a long time since we saw the skateboarding Night Thrasher. We've got Black Widow. Uh, we've got the um, Moon Knight, uh, oh, wow. and the dialogue between Moon Knight and oh, it's absolutely. Uh, Night Black Widow says Night Thrasher and Moon Knight are about the only ones that answered the call. Moon Knight behind says, "Hello, Frank." Uh, he says, "Hello, Mark. You still crazy? Little bit. You still murdering people? Little bit. How's your imaginary god?" He's good. How's your dead family? (laughs) Uh, Frank says, thanks for blowing me up, Romanoff, but I'm leaving. Got no interest in joining your island of misfit toy Avengers. Good luck with the nobody and the escape mental patient. patient. Night Thrasher says, what the hell did he just call me? (laughs) Moon Knight says, an escape mental patient. (laughs) Night Thrasher says, I think that was you. Oh, that makes more sense. (laughs) Some fantastic dialogue. Um, so yeah great dialogue the Thunderbolts um, I guess a reassembled Marvel Knights I really <clears> love the last two pages uh, it's been a wee while since we've seen them uh, in, in the Marvel Universe but uh, Frank has a guy with a bag in his head rise and shine what the hell Castle what was that I need you I need the other guy there are Hydra troops running around the streets pretending to be peacekeeping soldiers that's not my problem man don't get me roped into your stuff too late Oh God, you killed that guy, didn't you? Maybe I did. Maybe you did. 
Either way, in about a minute, his buddies are going to go around the corner in a tank and they're not going to bother asking who either of us did it. So you do your thing now or we probably both die. And this unknown guy says, that's not how it works. I need my... It's in the van, isn't it? <laughs> you know? And uh, the tank comes around the corner and uh, is absolutely blown to pieces, roaring around the corner. It's Ghost Rider uh, with Frank in the back of his hell cycle. But this isn't John Blaze Ghost Rider. This is Danny Ketch Ghost Rider, uh, who always needed the petrol cap, needed to touch the petrol cap on his bike in order to turn oh, the Ghost Rider. Right. It's a long time since he's been Ghost Rider. He doesn't want to be Ghost Rider. Frank's a bit of a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so great we team together, uh, together with uh, Rachel Alwes, who was the uh, the lady Punisher for a while. Um, so how many issues we got left on this? What is it? Thing? Sixteen, it's in total. Yeah. So fifteen's already out by the time we're recording this. Fifteen was great as well. Fifteen was fantastic. Um, yeah. Fifteen really looked at the team dynamic with Moon Knight and cool. Punisher and Night Thrasher and all the rest, Black Widow. Um, some great stuff between Zemo and Frank and there's a lot to wrap up in one issue I'm really really sad it's coming to an end because it's been awesome it is getting quote unquote replaced by a Garth Ennis Punisher so Punisher yeah. Soviets Punisher is continuing yep. one way or another Jason Burroughs but and Garth Ennis. what Rosenberg has done in this has been absolutely awesome so yeah a bit sad to see it go and the covers have always been great as well like just great tile all around Doctor Strange 18 by Mark Wade and Jesus Says was fantastic. Uh, lovely clean art. Uh, lovely clean art. Really nice. It was a really interesting story. This couple uh, in uh, Minotown, Kansas are preparing, preparing for their daughter's uh, birthday party. They're, he's a plumber, plumber heating specialist. He's taking time off. She got second, second place medalist in some ice skating thing apparently and uh, they seem to be a nice lovely nuclear family you know the bell rings they think it's the daughter coming home it's not it's Stephen Strange fully costumed you know arriving in this house and I think this is what was really awesome about this uh, this issue it's a standalone story um, you know obviously Doctor Strange his role as a Sorcerer Supreme is to 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 protect our denizens from supernatural evils no matter where they, they be but I think it's just just here seeing Doctor Strange in his cloak in his armour juxtaposed against this backdrop of their front room their front door him and his uh, <laughs> and his plumbing and heating hoodie you know their, their cactus <laughs> you know what I mean it's just fantastic the two of them the husband and wife look at each other and they're like what the hell Strange proceeds to tear apart their house absolutely tear apart their house this is a lovely painting my great grandfather painted it. Bush, uh, the dogs. You know, they can never get the dogs barking at Strange, and Strange goes, shh, and the dog just lies down, starts. You know, <laughs> um, he he tears seats in half with his magic. You know, he he seems to be investigating something, and eventually he comes upon this demon that seems to be using their houses a way through the, you know. So it's his magic in this mundane environment. It was just, it was just fantastic. He absolutely wrecks the house trying to keep this demon from coming through their fridge coming through their heating set you know eventually it becomes clear that it's a water demon of some kind and it's coming through the it's coming through the the water system of the house um and strange doesn't know how to stop it fortunately this guy's a plumber 
so he knows exactly how to stop it <laughs> you know so together working hand with the magic and the mundane working hand in hand they solve this world shattering problem strange appears to leave their house absolutely wrecked um but not the case because you know he he works his magic and leaves things even better than he found them you know with a fantastic three-tier cake with great congratulations banner and so forth and so on so uh just a lovely it's just a lovely story it was a really lovely story um this series is coming in end as well yeah um mark wade is staying on it however he's staying on dr strange surgeon supreme surgeon supreme as i understand it uh captain america number 13 tanahishi coach jason masters jason masters art isn't quite up to what i would have expect expected on captain america being like a top tier marvel book uh it just isn't quite doing it for me the story is what's doing it. This is the the first uh, first issue of the Legend of Steve. Um, Steve has spent this this Captain America. Tanahishi quotes Captain America has been a wee bit all over the place. It's been really enjoyable, but the story has just been a wee bit disjointed. Uh, Steve has been imprisoned. Steve has now been broken from prison by the mysterious Daughters of Liberty and their leader, the Dryad. Uh, Steve is now free, but after the there's this group called the Paralite. Their propaganda machine has declared him and the Hydra Supreme, Hydra Steve, Stevel, <laughs> has uh, has declared them to be one and the same. He's now been Captain America has now been hunted by Nick Fury. So what else is Captain America to do but to shed the Captain America identity and become Steve Rogers? Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is great. Um, they're broken out. Steve's hunting for his new mission. Doesn't know what his mission is. He's now wearing the Super Soldier costume, uh, which you oh, would be familiar cool. with from. Uh, Infinity War wasn't it? No Endgame. Infinity uh, War. That awesome remember. scene with the train, the train station. Oh, with Cap. Oh, that yeah. was Infinity War. Yeah. yeah, that was when they were going to save one. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, the, there's there's something mysterious going on. Peggy Carter has returned. Sharon Carter's uh, aunt. Um, they're trying. You know, they're they're they're, they're trying to convince Steve that you know the mission the objective is to remind the world who Steve Rogers is and then who Captain America is it's a public relations mission is it a public relations mission or is it a redemption mission mm-hmm. are they redeeming Captain America um, after everything that's happened um, there's a bit of a political thing going on uh, the, 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 the Daughters of Liberty which include White Tiger um, and uh, Tony whatchamacallit I can't remember what from the US Avengers um, you know they're, they've got I guess it's that's fairly politically relevant because it's all taking place at the border. There are immigrants crossing the border. There's local militia that are trying to they're terrorizing them, you know, and uh, you know Steve says, you know, I can't speak for what was. I've never condoned terror, but isn't the law the law? All countries have borders. If we start condoning illegal activity, and uh, White Tiger says, wait, hold on, Pap. Last I checked, you were uh, wanted for murder. I doesn't get much more illegal than that. And this border. <laughs> pick up a newspaper ain't no law down here Steve the police aren't doing anything about these attacks and uh, and we know why you know what I mean so so yeah so Steve effectively uh, hits the ground running and uh, he's questioning everything he's questioning what his way is he's questioning if it was ever as simple as he remembered was it me and Bucky versus Hitler and Zemo or was it a Jim Crow army uh, making common cause with Stalin you know was it ever was it ever good against evil you know and what part did he have in that he doesn't know anymore but uh, 
he knows the power of symbols. He was an artist. Steve Rogers is an artist, always was an artist. Uh, he knows the powers of symbols and inspiration and what they mean to people yearning to believe in something more and he knows he's a symbol. Um, he didn't like flouting the law, but the law could never redeem. Redemption could only come from people. Um, so he's got the super soldier costume on again. He's got the uh, the hard light shield. So he's lost a shield or he's no longer using his shield. He's using the, the hard light shield that, uh, that Tony Stark created for him years ago. Um, and he's taken on this hard right militia and there is some great Captain America action in this in this issue uh, some shield slinging uh, you know there's there's a great moment where he he depowers the shield and dislocates this guy's shoulder with with a move that I'm fairly familiar with <laughs> you know um, just some great there's some great combat um, and some great some great Steve Rogers yeah so most enjoyable most enjoyable issue I just wish wish the art was a wee bit more up to scratch um, I suppose you can't have everything yeah problem is when you see an Alex Ross cover that's it it's, it's all downhill from there hard to look past it isn't it <laughs> I suppose hard to look past it and now it's time for the tears the last one I want to throw out is Thor number 16 don't throw it out I'm not going to throw it out um, the last one I want to talk about is and save 16. some more tears yeah. <laughs> it is Jason Aaron's final issue after seven years on Thor. Um, so this is it. Uh, it's got a great uh, Del Mondo cover. It took me a wee while to come round to make Del Mondo's art, but uh, I really get it. This is he did the whole run with him, didn't he? He did, yeah. No, or most no, of it, because he, he definitely a, did the first. He's done. There's been a lot of uh, oh, lot okay. of artists actually. Um, oh, okay. Oliver Coupier, Russell Dodderman, Isad Ribic, um, and Mike. Mike Mondo, but I've really his art's really grown on me this is kind of a a summing up issue um, I guess it's good manners to leave a hero where you found him not where you found him necessarily <laughs> but where someone else can pick him up and I think that's exactly what Jason Aaron's doing here he does uh, he sets it up so that he can pick him up in King Thor <laughs> no no he doesn't he doesn't because we're not going to be seeing Thor again we're not going to oh, be seeing okay. this Thor again under Jason Aaron uh, King Thor takes place this leads into King Thor and King Thor takes place in another another place in another time with another character um, so I guess coming off the back of War of the Realms and, and leaving Thor where someone else can pick him up you know where there's a, a status quo um, so God of Thunder is finally restored gathering Thors from across space and time including Jane Th- Foster as the War Thor Thor reforges Lost Hammer Mjolnir defeated the Dark of Malekith ended the War of the Realms Recognising his son's accomplishments, Odin is stepping down as Allfather, leaving the throne of Asgard to his son, likewise Thor's brother Loki, on a path to redemption after helping both begin and end the war, is ascending to kinghood of the throne of Jotunheim, uh, realm of the Faust Giants, and on Midgard, Jane Foster is back to godhood as the lone Valkyrie. The Ten Realms have peace at last, but the story is far from over. Um, so, the story that's taken place is Thor is on Midgard in Mississippi, he's... Uh, with his hammer he's hammering nails and wood he's helping rebuild a church that was destroyed during the War of the Realms um, up in Asgard uh, the Asgardians are waiting for Thor to take his throne as the Allfather uh, there's 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 much festivities to be had they have to celebrate the end of the war the new Allfather has to take his throne but he's nowhere to be seen you know and Odin is starting to get more and more upset <laughs> blast it perhaps I should rethink this entire have faith in your son Odin. Easy for you to say. Thor understands the importance of the day and I promise you he will honour it as only he can. Right. So he's drunk then. 
um, you know, and we see uh, we we see all the various things that are that are happening. We've hammed it. <laughs> Heimdall and uh, and the Valkyrie and Foster and they're they're looking at the new world tree because obviously the world tree was set in fire by the sun and Thor used it to recast Mjolnir. Um, but this is uh, this is the new world tree and the new world garden. Uh, it seems T'Challa, the Black Panther, has joined um, has joined as the representative of the Congress of Worlds for Midgard. So that'll be interesting. T'Challa is now alongside gods, you know, at the Congress of Worlds. Uh, you know, Peter Ray Bills on the on the scene, and uh, Thori the murder dog, and we're seeing where the Warriors Three are. They're all happy as Larry. Uh, meanwhile, everybody's still waiting for the party. Thor's down on Earth. Uh, you know, there's a human organ, a heart that needs. It's a perfect match for transplant. You know, but will they ever get it to Sydney on time? Of course they will. As soon as uh, Thor attaches it, me all near and tells me all near to take it there. It'll be, it'll be. It'll, cover 4,000 miles momentarily so I mean and we see what's going on in Svartalheim with, with Loki with the imprisoned uh, Malekith with uh, Screwbeard the Dwarf you know all these characters that we're used to um, Loki uh, comes to the party and and thanks to his brother uh, blessing his his new uh, his new rise to be the Allfather he uh, resurrects Toothnasher Who's one of uh, Thor's two goats uh, that were lost during uh, the first issue of War of the Realms? Uh, <laughs> so it's it's all going on. Meanwhile, you know Thor's now in Svartalheim. Uh, he's bringing food to the poor, starving dark elves. Um, you know, so the whole way through, you know, Thor never appears, never appears to take his throne because he's too busy being the All Father that he feels he needs to be on Earth you know serving Midgard and Svartalheim serving the Dark Elves you know doing things that you know I guess his father Odin never really did you know what I mean and uh, meanwhile the young Thor and King Thor say goodbye um, you know Freya talks her husband down uh, you know I, he says he says all Odin says is and I wanted to thank Thor for his greatest feat of all even more than winning the war of the realms he won the seemingly impossible by by reuniting me with my senses and with the one true love of my entire immortal life so uh she's like well you're not going to get you <laughs> you're not going to get a chance <laughs> you know uh, i wanted to say these things but i never got the chance oh you one-eyed fool i'm sure your speech would have droned on too long and devolved into cursing by the end <laughs> you know so she takes him offside they have a celebration without Thor anyway. Um, the uh, King Thor and Young Thor say goodbye to each other. On the way past, Young Thor looks at he's still never lifted Mjolnir. He's still too young to have lifted Mjolnir in his time. And he looks at Mjolnir and says, you can wait. <laughs> you know? So maybe he's, and then the last page has us, uh, has us uh, with the, the prologue to King Thor as uh, Loki appears with the the God Butcher's sword from the very, very first issue of uh, of Jason Aaron's run uh, plunges it through King Thor, and uh, it's all to be continued in King Thor one. So, yeah, fantastic! Really looking forward to this. Uh, nice farewell to to Jason Aaron to to everybody but King Thor. Now he has the time to do Southern Bastards again. Does <laughs> uh, you really need to read this? You really need to read Thor. 
I will backtrace it all. I've already committed to this. They are going to release lots of hardcovers of his run. Yeah. I am committed. Yeah, okay. You know. I look forward to it. I might pull out all of mine, actually. Get back to it. <laughs> How big a pile would it be? Seven years. What are you talking about? Genuinely about a metre tall? Probably about that, I would say. Keep would going. Say, Keep yeah. on going. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, that was Thor 16. Um, obviously we have droned on for three hours plus at this point already, but we're going to drone on for a little while longer. Uh, <laughs> last two, uh, last two issues. I can see Roddy fading fast, so I can't. But I know he's excited about the last one. So there's a lot of our listeners are big fans of long podcasts, aren't there? So I've been yeah. told. So I've been told. I was once told that two and a half hours was not long enough. It's like thanks very much. Oh well, here we go then. Well, here we go. <laughs> this this one is for you. Whoever you are. This is indeed. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so two more issues to finish off with. Um, I think it's only right that we finish off with what we do. Um, another title that we always talk about every month is Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. That's because every month Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man is thoroughly excellent. And this again is just brilliant. Um, so it's so, <laughs> so down to earth and so humorous, but I don't know how I don't know where Tom Taylor gets the heart. See, what I love about Tom Taylor is he can do heart and humour, like, effortlessly. Yeah. Um, he also has this skill, and I've noticed it a few times, that he can start and end the story with the same speech, yes, but it means yeah. different things. So this kicks off with, here's the thing about Spider-Man. Everyone knows about the responsibility thing, but they don't realise he thinks everything is his responsibility, and no one has enough great part to deal with that. So it has Spider-Man like waiting in line for, <laughs> essentially for a coffee or for a slice coffee, of cake or whatever. Well, he's, 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 clearly a, he's clearly a battered Spider-Man. He's in a yeah, control and it's... He's got a torn costume. He's got what looks to be a cut above the eye that one of the lenses looks shattered. But at the same time, he still wants to bring home breakfast to the love of his life, Mary Jane. Um, and this issue very much focuses on her importance in Peter Parker's life. Um, I mean, this is a Peter I'm personally not used to seeing with, with you know, my Spider-Man reading. Tired, you know, utterly in need of just a good night's sleep. But he continues to mumble away saying, you know, mm, City still needs me. And uh, Mary Jane almost makes this pledge to him of, the City will still be spending when you wake up here. This, uh, I'll make sure of it. This is coming off the back of uh, War of the Realms. And because uh, Peter says, turns out there are some monsters left in New York after that. As guardian thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean there's just there's just great dialogue the whole way through it it's like have you been up all night you look terrible I mean not terrible you're still an impressive specimen Peter Parker but still yeah I fought a troll <laughs> you know it's uh, just really fun stuff um, and then this issue very much focuses as I say on Mary Jane Spider-Man behind completely Honestly, unconscious yeah. and bad yeah <laughs> yeah. I mean even with the art it was a cool little thing they did almost like a comic cover friendly neighborhood Mary Jane um, which yeah, is pretty yeah. cool but you know there's things in this that she can do that maybe Peter can't you know like she takes Aunt May to go and um, pick out a wig obviously Aunt May suffering from cancer um, suffering from all this treatment but just a, a day out with Mary Jane just like cheers her up instantly it's, mm -hmm. it's little things but these are the important people in Peter's life <laughs> I would have asked Peter but but it feels like Peter's hairstyle was set in stone in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, that's great. Um, and then the end, though, uh, Mary Jane ends up in uh, in the subway um, where a massive crash takes place. But she's very much calm and she's able to sort of not order people around, but certainly tell them what to do, give them instructions, you know, what's the best things to do. You know, she rallies all the passengers. Um, she's got control of the thing. Oh, 100%. And of course, what did they hit? They hit a troll. <laughs> Why. Um, is it wearing neon disco? I used to look like it stepped out of yeah. an, an 80s exercise video. <laughs> <laughs> it has a, a, a head, a sweatband, yeah, uh, yeah. wristbands, and what looks to be lycra trousers. Uh, maybe this is why this troll got left behind. <laughs> uh, he landed in the wrong era of New York. <laughs> I think so. But... Uh, What's cool about this as well is obviously at this point in the story, Peter's fast asleep and all the rest, but he's actually narrating the story, which is really, really cool. Um, you know, I do everything I can to protect it, to protect MJ from the craziness that surrounds me, but living in my orbit, just by being in my vicinity, there's some things in Spider-Man's life that are so big they're inescapable, but she never wants to escape. I'd understand if she ran away tomorrow, but MJ doesn't run, even when I wish she would, even when I've begged her to. MJ has faced it all, and she's faced it without powers, without a mask, without being bit of, bitten by a radioactive anything. Um, and I do like this part, which is like then turns around because the the troll basically gets spider web um, flipped around it, and it's like I thought I told you to go to. Oh. You were supposed to be sleeping, <laughs> huh? Oh, never mind. <laughs> so Miles Morales has turned up uh, at this point, and even you know she's she's coaching him. Keep the monster busy and try and avoid any more blood force trauma. Words to live by. <laughs> How long am I doing this? I'm working on it. Working on what? Are you trying to steal a train? Trolls live in darkness, so we need light. Lots of it. So she's using her smarts to help in the situation, um, which allows then Miles to get the upper hand and smack it six ways from Sunday at this point. Um, but I do like that she even manages to make Miles feel better uh -huh. about himself. You know, she's like, nice work here, Spider-Man. Yeah, seriously, I'm an expert on this. That was some very fine Spider-Manning. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Um, and then, yeah, this time... And, and again, this is the symmetry of the issue. There's something Tom Taylor's great with. You know, Peter was bringing Mary Jane breakfast. She brings him pizza. You know, I bring pizza. Sensational. I tell you, you didn't <laughs> miss that... Uh... That little uh, not at all mirror. So whenever uh, she uh, he arrives with the coffee and bagels at the start, she says spectacular. spectacular. Yeah. yeah, you know. So uh, sensational Spider-Man, spectacular Spider-Man. Yeah, just a wonderful, wonderful issue. It just ends with you know just the two of them enjoying a nice moment on the roof, and uh, sort of ending again with that same speech with uh, Mary Jane saying Spider-Man is Peter Parker, and Peter Parker is my responsibility. Uh, yeah, just continues oh, to be great. Yeah, very, issue very by good. issue. It's just it's everything in the like the little little small character moments just fantastic. And Tom Taylor is now going to be writing Suicide Squad. I never thought I'd be interested in Suicide Squad. Yeah. As much as Keith says he needs to kill Harley in the first like, page. Yeah. yeah. If, we, if we can do that, then I'm, I'm in. I'll still be reading <laughs> because that man at the moment can write anything. Yeah. Fair point. Um, fair point. But I'm going to leave the last issue for. Mr. Miller to no, no, not at all, not at all. You, uh, you go ahead. No, I, I think it was only key that we left this to last. Um, we've talked about it every month with every issue. It's been a ridiculously strong title. Keith has said it at least three or four times. 
probably going to be his series of the year but again yes House and Powers might have something there's to say so, about that there's been so many good miniseries but I think this this might just this is edging it for you it. yeah yeah um, so we are of course talking about Spider-Man Life Story uh, written by Chip Zdarsky art by Mark Begley um, and it's number 6 and the final the, issue set in the 2010s the 10s you can't really say the 10s it just tens. doesn't sound right yeah. yeah the way you say like the 20s or the 50s the 10s the teens you can go yeah. the 2000s you always say, you always say, the, you always say the 2010s the well, well this, this is set then <laughs> yeah Anyway, as much as we need to be rambling on even more than we already have. Uh, the six-issue saga has been fantastic. It's taken Peter from uh, Spider-Man's birth in 1962 uh, right up to present day. But uh, with the removal of Elastic Time, Peter and his people around him, uh, time has been passing and he has been aging as a, as a normal man. Uh, so in 1962, he was a 15-year-old boy. So that makes him old. <laughs> yeah um, yeah so with this we have come right up to 2019 um, obviously so much has happened in this I mean there, there's been so much story in, in life story it could have been more than six issues but it, it's tight and concise um, so yeah it kicks off with uh, Peter having sort of a dream he's now in his, he's now in his mid 70s I guess uh, yeah, it would be. Yeah, yeah. and uh, what's what's been great up until now, these last five issues, is that they've they've effectively what Zdarsky has done is he's taken the entire chronicle, you know, the the, the seventy year chronicle of of Spider Man's existence, and he's he's found the beats, he's found the points that he needed to hit, you know, in each decade, and he's hit them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Whether that was the Green Goblin, whether that was the clone saga whether that was the death of Gwen Stacy the meeting meeting Mary Jane whether that was uh, the stuff that Peter David wrote or sorry Jem Joe Michael Sosinski wrote with Morlin and uh, the all of that sort of stuff so he's really he's really and he doesn't really stop here so yeah yeah and there's just some great dialogue and descriptions and a lot of bittersweet stuff in this issue I mean you know, it, there's obviously a mission here that's going to be Peter and Miles working together, um, and it's all you only get a sense of what that mission is through the well, the equivalent of the thought bubbles, I suppose. But you have Peter saying, "Life is remarkably short and surprises." The older I get, Claire is twice the hero I was at her age. No doubts, no hang-ups, just decisive leadership, shaped by the superhero civil war, a war that's over with both sides losing. Heroes fighting heroes only leads to one end: the villains win. Um, so yeah so they are essentially going up in a spaceship uh, this is where this issue was taking a turn that I wasn't expecting uh, I have to say but uh, they are essentially going up to uh, a space station that's orbiting the earth and they're going to install this component that's basically going to take down all the villains on earth is essentially the well, doom it seems it's that a the global end. disruptor pulse the, the, they allude to the fact that it will shut down all of doom's tech yeah. Doom seems to have taken over the world. Um, would would seem like the be. heroes are almost like he refers to them as the resistance now. Yeah. Um, Cap, Tony, Reed, Jessica, everyone is either dead or missing. Doom tore through us. The world was tired of heroes fighting heroes, and Victor Von Doom gave them a steady iron hand. 
Uh, I'm the leader of the resistance now by virtue of age and experience, I guess. But this new generation of heroes like Miles and Claire and Kamala, we referenced them as Marvel, are so much more put together than I was at their age. Like, I even like the, I really like the design of the spider suits and even the helmets. I like that you can tell very clearly who Miles is and who Peter is. Yeah. Just yeah. by the fact that they've got their masks sort of um, overlaid on it, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak. But even a lot of the dialogue here where Peter obviously is comfortable in space and Miles is slightly panicky and you know Peter's saying like it can really mess you up the first time the feeling of being utterly alone in such a cold hostile um, and then they see that their ship has been destroyed um, yep and then there's a in the background Peter Parker we told you once that we'd go to the ends of the earth the ends of the earth was oh, a great story and in 2017 involved Dr. Octopus taking over uh, God I can't remember taking over the uh, creating a shield around the world or I can't remember what it was but it involved a lot of villains and it involved Dr. Octopus and it ended with that was the story that ended with Doc Ock taking over Peter Parker's body and becoming oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah yeah so the voice belongs to Craven who has been we saw him Sort of looking lonely and defeated. What was it in an old number four? Yeah, but the symbiote was sort of hanging around in the background. Mm. Um, so this is sort of the culmination of that story. Um, I love that he's got like this jacket on. Just he's still got his craven. He's still <laughs> craven. Great. Yeah, it's just great stuff. Uh, great character design. I just think and the big mane of hair. Yeah, uh-huh. but even the dialogues you say we said we'd go to the ends of the earth to hunt you. It turns out we'd even go beyond earth. Um, then there's some really great fight sequence here with. Um, Peter talking about how he relies on a spider sense the older he gets but because the symbiote doesn't trigger it he's obviously been caught by surprise here Miles is clearly no match for um, for Venom uh, well I should say Krenum Krenum yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah Peter's able to take him down um, with a sonic pulse yeah uh, love that detail of the skull just like yeah. flying out of the corner <laughs> well, of the panel that's the thing again almost like absolute courage the the symbiote is the only thing alive about Craven. yeah mm-hmm. you know what I mean it was just using his, his body as a because all that's left is dry bones and then you get this wonderful twist which again throws in one of the big stories of the yeah. 2010s which of course was Spear Spider-Man yeah. where uh, Otto Octavius ended up with his consciousness inside spider-man's body inside peter parker's body and then you get that payoff as well because peter was cutting uh miles a little bit of slack saying it was his first time in space and that's because um miles called him parker he Uh says god enough with the jokes parker he's like parker miles you really need to take it down a notch yeah 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 it actually brings that all around and peter's peter's always been a smart man like he put things together and yeah you know he puts it very together he says after he drops Craven and uh, Miles says just a skeleton Peter says all my enemies are dead isn't that right Otto <laughs> <laughs> they reveal that uh, that rather than, than, than take over Parker's old body he's taken over the body of the new youthful Spider-Man yeah um, so yeah the two, the two go at it um, obviously Peter isn't really much of a match for uh, much of a match for the young uh, Miles's body and uh, 
you know, but 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 Otto slash Miles decides it's much more rewarding to defeat Peter not with his body but with his mind. Yeah, um, the brilliant disciple of Reed Richards of Miles Warren of Norman Osborne. I'm not going to take over your brain like I did with young Miles. I'm going to pound it into dust. And you see some of the familiar rogues gallery there. You see the Green Goblin, Electro. You yeah. uh, see Venom. You see um, Vulcan. Is that? What's that? Um, Vulture. 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 Sorry. Sorry. Yep. It doesn't look like Michael Keaton. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and like it's like you and one army, and then you see this great double splash page. The next one where it's like, there's different Spider Man from different generations, all from from all the areas eras of the yeah of the, the life story, yeah. all the different armors, all the different you know the black Spider Man, the, the first suit, the Secret Wars Spider Man, yeah, the Civil War Spider Man. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. It's a great double. The Mark Bagley has has absolutely nailed that. Yeah. So. The fight continues, the fight continues, and despite all this violence and despite all of that, what actually stops Otto is Aunt May. Is Peter's vision of Aunt May, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who, uh, obviously in the story by the second or third issue, was very, very old and uh, her mind was gone. She was suffering from Alzheimer's. But uh, in her youth, uh, Otto was in love with me and... Uh, and she, I think she re- she returned that affection as well. So yeah, uh, that's what. That's exactly what it is. Otto's been scared to let go. He didn't want to let go. He's so scared, you know, it'll be okay. Otto, trust me, and he does. And uh, in the same way, almost as uh, at the end of the Superior Spider Man, Otto had to trust Peter Parker and had to give up being Peter's. He he learned so much from Peter's sense of responsibility that he was responsible enough to give up Peter's body knowing that Peter was a better Spider-Man and was the only person who could um, solve the problem that they did solve at the end of that story <clears throat> yeah with some beautifully written stuff here that again I go back to it that I just didn't realise just what a good writer Chip Zdarsky was mm. until he did this and Daredevil and you know Invaders and so forth but <clears throat> so uh, May's obviously able to calm Otto down and basically turn him to dust or at least Peter's vision of May yeah yeah and uh, he says, fought that guy for decades and in memory of you, uh, just beat him with a hug. <laughs> oh, Peter, it's simple. Everybody wants something. It's almost never about hard fisty cuffs or word of domination. Uh, then what do, I, what do I want, May? Nothing ever really changes. You've managed to have a beautiful life with Mary Jane. Sweet Ben Jane Claire. It fills my heart knowing that. That's what you have, though. What you want, what you want is to save Ben, but you can't. So you save everyone else. You realise years ago that that'll never change, so you embraced it. So go, Peter, my sweet boy. Save everyone. It wasn't until this scene that I realised how much the old version of Peter looks like Uncle Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's save everyone. There's too much damage from that. The window gets blown out. Um, So Peter tries to web it out to try and buy some time. Try to save Miles' body. Because, of course, in classic action-orientated drama, only... uh, an escape pod for one yeah of course <laughs> never okay. for two um, but what's interesting here as well is obviously it's still Doc Ock inside of Miles Morales' body yeah. so he's saying no wait let me help we can save everyone Peter says sorry Doc can't let you sacrifice a life that's not your own um, so he's so Peter's trying to patch it all up because there's a countdown here for this pulse to you know hit the earth um, gets to 40 seconds looks like Peter's going to fail 
I'm sorry, Aunt May. I'm sorry. I wish I could have been stronger. That could classic have. scene with him holding the webs together, holding yeah. the station together with yeah. his body as best he can. But it looks like he's going to fail, and then boom, symbiote. <laughs> Thought that was a great touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then he has the, oh, this is his really emotional actually. Um, <laughs> and then he sort of has this vision of him and Mary Jane when they're younger. You know, I think everything's going to be all right. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's really, really class stuff. Of course it is. It's what you do. Um, and then just the way it ends with like, you're my heart, Mary Jane Watson. You're my jackpot. Then that explodes. Peter being the ultimate hero he was always going to be. Um, and then it gets back and you start to see the Miles Morales is back to himself. Um, They're keeping Otto's body alive. Uh, Miles clearly hasn't forgiven him for for doing what he did to him yeah um, even says I wanted to kill Yotto just reach down and pull the plugs but Peter wouldn't have done that neither will I you can just lie here and think about the strength that takes you know and he hasn't Miles hasn't got back to being Spider-Man because he can't deal with with the fact that Otto had his body and was was, was Spider-Man for so long and uh you know just exactly how Peter reacted whenever in the original story whenever he was given his body back he can't even go out in the costume anymore knowing his, he was swinging around as me beating people up every part of my life has been tainted even the part that was supposed to feel like freedom and uh, Mary Jane now obviously an older woman uh, decides you know not, it's not saying she could take over just yeah. he can alter it make it something new you know I mean you already have the name and she presents him with Peter's original uh, blue and red costume uh, which is class uh, and it just ends again with that same dream that opened the issue but this time with Spider-Man stopping the oh, robber oh that was class <laughs> that scene just that because you're so used to seeing that classic scene of the robber you know being chased by the security guard rushing past Spider-Man Spider-Man young Spider-Man too arrogant to to stop the stop the thief the one thing that would have changed his life that would have you know saved his Uncle Ben's life the thing that which is the thing of course that motivates yeah. Peter you know so uh, just that that's just that that scene of Spider-Man lifting his hand and the, the classic you know uh, web shooting action towards the, that's fantastic that's yeah. really fantastic and a perfect note to end it on yeah so yeah it is probably the series to beat I would say that's this another year. one there's there's, there's two series this year that I've said that I own all the single issues well I own all the single issues that I'm, I'll buy I'll probably buy the trade of or buy the hardcover of and that's this and uh, House of X Parts of Ten uh, but I don't know that's even I've got a lump in my throat even just yeah you know, that was that's fantastic yeah he just he nailed that every all six issues of that series yeah there yeah. wasn't a weak link anywhere for it give him some uh Fantastic Four life story or oh wow yeah something uh, yeah I mean there was some some of that in there I mean the members yes, of Fantastic Four yeah. appeared but and Mark Bagley he's been at this a long time as well and he's I mean that's the best I've ever seen yeah I think, from yeah. Mark Bagley it um, yeah. reminds me of uh, Tim Seale and Jeff Loeb did the uh, Spider Man Blue, Blue, Daredevil Captain Yellow, White, yeah. and Hulk Grey? Yeah. I think that's what they should do for 
all the other yeah just just do everyone well, everyone be, in the Marvel universe it'd be really interesting story. to see the, the sort of crisscross moments because yeah. you, yeah, you saw Tony Stark you saw Reed Richards quite a few times um, you saw Captain America obviously in him and his stance in, in Vietnam, Vietnam. Yeah, that's right. the stuff with Civil War and you saw a lot of the older heroes turn up in Civil War yeah. how did they get there that um, was really carefully plotted really brilliant um, yeah really I just, I just as I said earlier on I, I just love the way he's taken the the entire chronicle of Spider-Man and just and taking those beats those those significant moments and just hit them all just like a just like a fantastic drummer just <laughs> all the right notes you know what I mean he's, he's just he's and really somehow put it in the four, in the four six, uh, issues. six issues yeah, yeah. absolutely because he's taken because he's He's taken what was was great about those moments and distilled them down to the feelings of those moments and what mm-hmm. they were supposed to do. That really taken the themes of them and and as I say Mark Bagley, I finally uh, this week after twenty years, create finished my Thunderbolts run, my original one hundred seventy four issue Thunderbolts run. Uh, Mark Bagley was the artist on a lot of Thunderbolts, especially in the middle. Uh, so I was reading the Mark Bagley issue of Thunderbolts. And it really suits Thunderbolts, but I swear he's got better in twenty years. <laughs> that's his life story, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. I think the right project just pulls out the art in a great way. I mean, it's it's linked to this in a way, I suppose, tangentially. But it's um, obviously I was reading Batman Court of Owls, and reading it, I can almost see like Greg Capullo going like. This is this is great stuff. I'm gonna bring my A game. And I think that's what Begley did with this because, yep. like you were saying, you looked at an unused absolute. Was it an unused Maximum Carnage cover? Yeah, it must have been of Spider Man Three. For, and you three were looking at it going like, is this Mark Begley really? Because yeah, what was, I've been reading recently, Slipestorm. Yeah, exactly. Which yeah. is incredible. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, this was a perfect example of um, perfect marriage of artist and yep. writer. Yeah. Um, a great concept fantastic concept and everything about it just screamed quality whether it was the covers it was um, the alternate history of it it was just yeah I would love to I would love to have seen uh, Chip Zdarsky's pitch yeah for this so it's Spider-Man but minus the elastic tie yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know it, it just is and Spider-Man a dies in the end and I'll tell you what else I would love all six covers yeah. for a poster yeah yeah, because they were all done by Chip himself. Yeah, yeah. Zdarsky did them all. So very cool. Yes. Nice one. it's been great following this through its through the last six months. Yeah, you know, it was a big pile of stuff, guys. It was, it was, and it ended on the best possible note. Big pile of uh, non-elastic time for a podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've I just it. find it hilarious that it's easily going to be our longest reviews podcast, and yet we said at the start we're going to skip over House and Powers. <laughs> Just to keep the length I, down a bit. I'd love to know how long you talked about it for. Hey, it was, it was worth it, I'm sure. We'd still be talking about House and Park. Oh, all right. How long will your book club? Oh, um, I reckon I could. Now. I reckon I could rival this for Court of Isles, admittedly, but um, we did actually we'll plan to record two tonight, but yeah, it didn't happen. <laughs> yep. Anyway, it's late. It is very late. That it was good fun. Is late. We're all tired, but we must find a way to to pare these massive piles down whenever we're doing reviews. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. Or I do th- we need to? I do think people that's, like it. Long I think it's kind of the fun of it. You yeah, know? there's so much good stuff coming out. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, but 
Now that Spider-Man Life Story's ended, that'll cut a half an hour out of every podcast every month, so that's fine. <laughs> Until something else replaces it. Alrighty. Until it does, right. Anyway, we are going to nip it in the bud right there. Uh, as ever, any of these titles appeal to you, pop into the store. Life Story is out in trade in October. Really can't recommend it enough, whether it's for yourself or as a present for anyone with even a passing interest in Spider-Man. Yeah. This is essential. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, as ever, pop in the store and uh, you will most likely find the three of us sitting there. And there's the <laughs> store's Facebook at Coffee and Heroes. Yeah, and follow us on all the usual social media Twitters. channels Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, more details coming up on that Clay Man signing the next day or two. Um, so, yeah, exciting things ahead, yeah. even though life story is over. But anyway, <laughs> we will leave it there, gentlemen. Lovely Pleasure chance. as always. Thank you very much. That was nice. Cool. Cheers. Good night. See you soon. <laughs>